so I am, I mean, regardless of how, what we were talking about earlier with the Cassavetes films, Jason, I am a little sad to leave Mr. Cassavetes behind. And I don't, um, I don't think I'll ever be the same um, after this. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I can't help but think about Cassavetes as a kind of tragic hero in a way. I mean, it really does seem like that, right? I mean, this, this, I don't know. Like, and like reading about him and watching these films and watching how they progress, uh, it, this is, and again, I I know that we put our own baggage onto this guy too, but like this, he kind of is a version of, of us. (laughs) Right. But this idea that, you know, you're this blue collar workaday artist who put everything on the line and lived life on your own terms and you know, basically punched back, you know, to a power at every stage of your career to the, to the best of your possible, you know, the, the best of your abilities. Yeah. It's hard. It's, it's hard to like, like I said, and we've said this before, you know, on, on these episodes that I want to live in this world. I want to be mm-hmm. friends with these people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to be influenced by these people. And, and so it's like, just to have been around in this circle, uh, is, is, I, yeah, it's it. So, yes, it's hard to leave that. It's hard to walk away from this idea because, again, you don't get I don't know. You just don't get this anymore. And maybe this is being a middle aged white guy. And I, and I don't mean it in those terms. I don't mean it in this this whole <laughs> again. We can talk about this, too. Like this. I don't mean it in a MAGA term. Right. I don't. But this idea of like you, you very rarely see people live life on their terms, on their own terms like this. Uh, you know, consequences be damned. And, 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 and ultimately kind of what does him in though too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like, you know, he spends the last years of his life afraid to go to the hospital because he doesn't really want to know the bad news, right? right? He says if he goes to the hospital, he won't be coming out. <laughs> but the fucking guy, if he had just gone and gotten a, you know, a liver transplant or, you know, the, 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 the medicine has progressed enough. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I get it. You're an immigrant. You're a Greek immigrant coming over here with nothing. Right. And making everything on your own. And then the idea that you can't somehow miraculously heal yourself after a lifetime of one going off and getting hepatitis C on a, on a film shoot and then coming back and drinking and smoking as hard as they did. You know, the stories that for about, his entire life. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was like. They were extensions of his hands, the cigarette and and mm-hmm. and, and, mm-hmm. A and tree, the booze, right? Yeah, and like people would say, like you know, they it just he, you know, and I I have a hard time. I know anecdotally we get like this when we start talking about our heroes, but you know, people saying he was never drunk or he never oh, appeared to drunk. Come on, come, this I is mean, guy is drinking a fifth of whiskey, <laughs> right? You know, no, he like, was, yeah. But yeah, but I mean, it, look, I I I more than you probably understand what it is to be a functioning alcoholic. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I do understand that a lot more than you. I, I just don't want to make assumptions of like your kind of <laughs> sure. teetotaling or your good behavior, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm making <laughs> I'm making confessions about my terrible behavior. But even at that point, even if he is a functioning alcoholic, he's going to appear drunk. I mean, it's just a silly thing to say. I, I think it's one of those like, things. Oh, where I, it's I like, never knew. Come on. Yeah, I think it's the environment, right? I mean, I would imagine that if you're you know, flying a plane in the seventies or on a plane in the seventies and every you're in the smoking section, you just don't realize that everyone's smoking. It is just a, it is a thing. And so, yeah, the idea that you would kick off your 11 AM with a, you know, (laughs) 
three fingers of Jack or whatever, then yeah, yeah it's, you know, and just continue throughout the day. Um, and there were no drinks. And I think this is evident as you watch Cassavetes' films. But one, he's always drinking and smoking. <laughs> he's always. But he's always, always also uh, advocating for underage drinking in these films. <laughs> like, Falk gives kids beers oh, yeah. uh, in A Woman Under the Influence. Yes. Uh, he gives a kid a wine glass of beer in, in uh, Love Streams. So yeah, he's, he's several times where, where underage drinking is present in these movies. <laughs> but okay, okay, but still. Like, we probably had our first sips of, oh, sure. of booze from our parents or uncles or somebody like that. Right, I mean, right. this was not to be like, oh, that's a different time. But I do think that we, <laughs> we have learned a lot more about, look, here's, here's why you probably shouldn't give your kids booze, <laughs> you know, when they're six years old. <laughs> it's like that scene in Vacation where they've wrecked the car and, and Clark gives Rusty the beer and he downs it. And it's like, <laughs> and like he gets it back and there's nothing inside of it at all. <laughs> Just like that. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, and like, not just Cassavetes, but also Rollins and, and like having these, the, like I said, we talked about the stable of actors that were always, mm-hmm. ha- always had his back and going back to, um, you know, the early films where he's, you know, that we're, we're portraying an artist and it's too late blues. And, you know, though it's those guys that would have stuck with Darren, regardless of, of what he had, you know, didn't matter what he, they knew the talent, they knew and so, yeah. you know, you go, I go. That's, uh, that's, yeah. and again, so it's, it's, it's romantic in a sense of you're living this East Coast lifestyle and this kind of intellectual lifestyle and this artiste lifestyle. And also you're basically saying, fuck you to the man and, yeah. and, and defining a whole genre of film that, or, you know, or a filmmaking style that had yet to be formed to be developed at this point and really has been tried to be emulated, but, um, but never really has, has gotten back to that level again. And I don't think you ever, like I said, we talked about this before, but I don't think I ever can again. I don't think it's possible. Um, there's too much, like you can put out and there have been movements where people could have put out their own films, but nothing to, it was never done on this level. It was never done to this degree of, uh, skill. And, And so it's, it's, and I think the system today, even like, even the indie system has become really homogenized. Mm-hmm. So even some of these smaller studios that we both, I think, really appreciate, Annapurna, are they still actually, ever? anyway. Yeah, I think so. Um, Who knows? But Neon <laughs> right. A24, there's still a preciousness to those films that Cassavetes didn't have. And that we haven't really seen, I mean, that lack of preciousness since stuff like this. I mean, I think now there's, there's got to be this. I don't know, knowingness or a sheen to it. Yeah, I mean, like, I think the lament, right, is that had, and it's the same thing with Elaine May, that had Cassavetes been able to let go a little bit, what else could he have done? Did he have to struggle as hard as he did to get his vision across? You know, and again, you know, he crossed a lot of people by not using Union Crews because of the cost of, Mm. you know, of of that. Um, But he also saw that as waste. You know, I don't know if there was a common ground, especially in the 70s and early 80s to do that. But yeah, it's one of those things where like, I I do think that if Cassavetes had found a foothold in a European distributor, a European um, production house, you know, kind of, and again, I hate, I'm not equating these two people, but in the same sense as, as like Allen has, Woody Allen where Woody Allen makes these movies, I mean, again, and it's not, uh, he's made when he was making movies, and I guess he still is, but he was making these movies a year after year and getting relatively large budgets for him, mm-hmm. and then they're not making money, but again, you know, stateside, but they'll make enough money to make their money back in you know, overseas. Had he been able to do that, 
you know, would he have been a little bit more prolific, been able to make the movies that he really mm-hmm. wanted, you know, that he, I know he always made the movies that he wanted to make, but like, as we see here, I think Love Streams is like the last gasp here. And then Big Trouble is just a, is a, is a favor. And at that point, you know, he comes, he comes close to getting She's the Lovely Maid. Um, and, uh, but hey, Nick did it. <laughs> but Nick, Nick did do it. Nick did do it. And, and I still like that movie. Um, but, you know, and weirdly enough, Sean Penn was attached to it then. Drops yeah, out to early do, on. Yeah, drops out to do Casualties of War. And that was basically well, because, the end of it. Because they couldn't get funding. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, he's like, you know, I think the story goes, you know, Penn and Cassavetes were talking about this all the time. And Penn's like, you know, do we have funding to do this? Okay, no, we don't. I'm going to go do this and then I'll come back. Right. I mean, so... He was always attached to it, but just waiting for the funding. Um, I think, I think, I mean, I clearly, I think opening night is the, the failure of opening night and bookie back to back just kind of did him in. I mean, at that point he had to have known his, his health was yeah, you know getting yeah. bad. And like the idea of him putting Gina in a bad spot or the kids in a bad spot yeah, because yeah. of him trying to make another movie. And then that's, I'm sure that's, you know, he takes a couple of more acting jobs like Marvin and Teague and the Tempest and then, um, and then taking the be- big trouble as the last directing gig, which he just disowned anyway. <laughs> you know, it's funny, you know, I don't know. Did you end up watching no. big trouble? No, I, I mean, I, I looked at no, it. It's, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. It, it's, oh good. I'm glad I'm not in trouble. It's not, <laughs> God damn it. Flip the table over. <laughs> well, that was a fun run. <laughs> um, yeah, there are moments there, right? There, I mean, and like Arkin and Falk do actually play pretty well together. I, I think this idea of like it being a sequel to Double Indemnity is is kind of a far fetched. But idea. it's like the same plot. It's I mean, the same plot. They had to right? get yeah. a release. Did you know? Did you, did you read the story? I did not see that. So they had to get every because it was Columbia who mm-hmm. did it, and so they had to get a release from Universal. Right, because the plot was so close so to Double Indemnity, and then Universal said, "Okay, we'll give it to you." But right, the executive who made the deal used to work at Columbia, and they said, "But we know you're holding on to this script, and we want this script." And they were like, "Which one?" And he goes, "Back to the Future." Oh, that's right, I did see that. So there yes. was that, like they did this swap deal. <laughs> really bad move on Columbia's part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, although Back to the Future was by no means like a slam dunk at the time. No, I mean, like, no. Zemeckis was basically on his way out, never being able to right, make a film again right. until Back to the Future. Until that. Um, but it is a serviceable, a good, solid C minus comedy. Like it is. And I read somewhere that there was an early Cassavetes cut of it that was really good. And then, of course, they took so, it away from him. So, and, like a child is waiting. <laughs> right. It's, it's right. that all over again um, without Judy Garland flipping everybody off. It's one of those things where you can see the potential and like there's moments where Falk is really, really funny and Arkin is really, really funny. And actually Beverly D'Angelo is really good in it. Like, like when you get her in a role, especially at that time frame when she's not overshadowed by Chase and like mm-hmm. she can kind of mm-hmm. be this like, uh, you know, mobster mall that just kind of where she's like sexy and like funny and I don't know. There's th- that movie has like all the great ingredients of a wonderful meal that just doesn't quite come together. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, good try. But good try. <laughs> right? I know that Cassavetes probably has. I mean, I knew that he was lamenting that that was his last film. But what are you going to do, right? I mean, yeah. it's well. We all, look, I don't. I don't consider it his last film. I consider Love Streams his last film, and right. that's right. <clears throat> that's that's it. So okay. Anyway, right. We're going to wrap up Cassavetes today. We're going to talk Gloria and Love Streams. 
Um, in 30 seconds, I'm going to make you all laugh. Uh, that's <laughs> see, see, I did. I did. <laughs> um, we just touched on Big Trouble. I don't think we need to do that again. Like I said, he disowned that film anyway, so it's not really his movie. Um, I, despite our equal, I think, dislike, I do want to touch briefly on the No One Will Save You film that okay. we, that we that agreed I, that I to watch because, because of this. But, but I think there are some. A couple things, you know, to mention there, we can move on. You know, Jason, in a form of self-flagellation, you went to see the new Exorcist film oh my God. by the director, <laughs> David Green, who, who we have covered on this, uh, yes. in this very parish. Which I feel like, I feel like we didn't have to, I, well, I, clearly, I know you don't feel like this. Yeah, <laughs> like I, we I to, don't. Like, follow back up no. on this film. <laughs> we didn't even bother to finish it when, when, when we were doing it. That's um, right. I'm not going to go see this film, so you can fill us in. It's weirdly, I, you know, not to break my arm, patting myself on the, on my back here, but I was re- weirdly prescient with the, uh, yeah, you know what? Let's make it two girls. What I don't understand, and I, what I, what I, what I, what's, I, I okay, so he makes Halloween, the sequel to the first movie, as a, you know, and jettisons all the. So a he, legacy sequel, right? right? I mean, he, yeah. he he takes this and it does so well that I think it's like I said, it's this weird ebb and flow of his career that this does so well that it makes people forget everything else. And I, <laughs> he he had to have signed on. I I would love to know the the timeline for when he signed on to do Exorcist because I would imagine it was probably before Kills and Ends comes out. I would imagine that had to have been in the works. So. Kills and ends probably do. I mean, like you can blame those on COVID releases and not doing, you know, whatever. Although I think Halloween came out directly to streaming as well. It it, it did. Um, yeah, it did. So, but I think yeah, the other two you really have to blame on scripts and direction. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, and so, okay, next legacy, huge prestige horror. You know, uh, which has had one stellar film mm-hmm. and one good film and then three that have been garbage even though i love schrader and schrader's version is better than Rennie harlan's version it's still pretty, it's still pretty bad yeah. yeah um and so i this and then you have all these imitators right which has been a slew since 73 or two or four of uh knockoffs and and that have forgotten everything that was good about the exorcist the original which was this was innocence corrupted but also how it affected everyone around every film since then is focused on the demon mm-hmm. and the little and i just i don't how can you like so nowadays like these you have these horror franchises that by the time they get to the sixth movie or this movie in the in this in the in the series you've gone parody right you've gone the pope's exorcist you've gone <laughs> <laughs> bride of chucky you, you you know you've gone freddy's dead right so i mean like you've got these are all become parodies of themselves sometimes those can be fun uh, you know the chucky i think the chucky thing leaning into that actually really worked for them but this move and i know the pope's exorcist is not an actual exorcist sequel but i mean at this point no all, but it's got the name in it and we're all the same age at this point right, right. yeah so at this point that's the only stage for the demon like what i would want this movie to be is like the demon 
possessing Reagan and then Reagan like it's like a, a all of me kind of sequel where they got part <laughs> part demon part Reagan and they battle it out for life day, you know day-to-day life that's a good movie to me this is a fucking god damn this movie sucks it's it's it, it, again it, all he has is two two demons two little girls yeah. and they focus on the little girls the 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 whole there's the story is that this this man loses his well his wife is pregnant and um they're in Tahiti or some you know uh, some place where there's an earthquake it was Haiti right it was Haiti yeah, yeah. It kind of it has which is the, which is a weird letters. which is a weird place to, I mean what, what I mean. <laughs> I'm well, sorry. I'm sorry. It's any Haitians listening. That's not what I meant. Right. But what I mean is this is like a weird disaster to ground this film in because right. that was a real thing. Right, right, right. And so she had gone off to some um, local priestess or something to get the baby mm-hmm. blessed. And then, of course, during the earthquake, she gets trapped. And then there's this whole thing of you can save your wife or save the child. but You can't save both. Blah, blah, blah. And then he comes back and these two little girls go walking off together. They are gone for a period of time. They lose track of time. Um, And of course, then they come back and they're possessed. Mm -hmm. It's so banal for the first hour that you don't give a shit. Like it does, you just don't care. And so by the time they come back and they're possessed, there's this weird like kumbaya of multiple religions that exist in this movie that I don't fucking understand what, it, it so seems like we're, trying to offend no one and trying to play to a base of everyone. And not that this movie, like, yeah, the exorcist original was offensive. Like, but that was not, it was, I don't know. I, it was supposed to be shocking. This movie, like at a certain point when they're um, doing this, like voodoo circle around the girls to get them in these uh, it's all this like montage of getting prepared to do the exorcism. And then of course, the Catholic church doesn't want to do the exorcism, but he comes in at the last minute and then gets his head com- turned completely around and then he <laughs> dies. Um, but I was like, and they're like uh, nailing these chairs to the ground. And I was like, for whatever reason, in my head, I was laughing because the chairs were different from one another. And like, it was just so fucking stupid. Because like, you could tell it was like a filmmaking thing. So you could like put the girls next to like different. It was so dumb. I'm like... Everything about this movie, I mean, it was just boring, yeah. right? It, and that's, I guess that's, that's the greatest sin is that if you're going to bring back Burston and you're going to bring back, spoiler alert, Linda Blair, who's Linda Blair shows up in the end credits kind of. And so it clearly setting up. But this, but this idea that, and again, I guess you can argue generational trauma, but this idea that Burston, who was a famous Hollywood actress in the first one, would then once after her daughter has become excised, then goes on a crusade to learn everything that she can about exorcism and all the different cultures and becomes a, this kind of guru that you go to if your child is having problems. And then, of course, that she just travels around the world, like, and then performing kind of, not necessarily performing the exorcisms herself, but being there. And then at the very, like, you have her here for about 15 minutes, and then the girl, one of the girls jumps on her and stabs her in the eye with a crucifix that falls off a wall stabs her in both of her eyes so you blind her and then she's kind of taken out of the equation like it's it's a weird like why this is not laurie strode this is not the main and again why not if you're going to make a legacy sequel and you're going to make it a prestige sequel 
bring I, I know that Blair came back for Exorcist 2, The Heretic. Mm-hmm. But but again, who get Lori came back for Halloween 2, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Lori came back Lori came back for Halloween H2O. <laughs> so like there's not like it's an underrated classic. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Michelle Williams, it's fine. Hey, um, LL Cool J doing like, that's, you know, that's true. softcore fiction. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> but you do nothing like the story is bursting in Blair. Mm-hmm. You do nothing with it. And, and, and okay, okay, so now you're going to set up this trilogy where, like, the girls have been excised. Like, again, the demons go, like, this, I don't know what you do. I understand the Halloween, I understand the draw to do a Halloween trilogy. To have a full blown story across an exorcism, to, like, if you're, like, are you going to drive him down through the gates of hell, like in Poltergeist 2, where you go in and, like, fight the demon on his own, you know, on his own land? Because I don't know what you do here. And then, like, Green at this point is like, well, I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to direct the other two. Yeah, who gives a shit at this <laughs> yeah, point? No, Please don't. No one but cares, it, right? You All you have made is another, the exorcism of Emily Rose or the possession and yeah, the haunting. Right. Right? I mean, all these So other another movies. imitator, really. Right. But and, the, and only a handful of those have even been closely been interesting. And most of them have focused, like, the one that, I forget which one it was. It was, like, the haunting and something or other where... She wasn't actually possessed. Did she just been mm. like molested? Mm. And so that that whole idea is has an interesting thread. This this whole idea of like that exorcism, like you could have taken this in a way that you know where exorcism was all in the mind of these little girls, and it was a representation of their trauma. I know it can be a stylized version of their trauma, of course, with them having help me on their skin. But I mean, like, there's ways to 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 make because i mean the ultimate the original exorcist kid the story that the exorcist was based on the the william peter blatty book the guy the kid came out and said i just did it as a lark like yeah. it's like yeah, well, i wasn't yeah. i wasn't really I, possessed i need attention there are things going on at home and i need attention right and and, and green has That's why I do the fucking nuance of a goddamn sledgehammer and but now he doesn't have the talent he doesn't have the talent, and again, this is—I know this is rich coming from a guy like me. He doesn't have the talent to 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 execute what he's trying to do here, yep. and it makes me question like the things that he does do that are decent, like 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 the righteous gemstones and all the real girls. Where is that coming from? Because I don't I think know. that this kid has the ability to really fulfill what he you know the the promise of what he's trying to bring to these series well even even a movie like george washington which i know you didn't like right had something else that these other films have have not right i mean had a kind of at least an attempt to find a voice to find um a visual language that i don't think these are going for at all no right and like i said i'm not going to watch this but (laughs) i'm just not you know but i did watch all the halloween ones thinking like okay this is interesting this is and then no it just wasn't right um, so yeah so yeah no uh that's my um uh, my movie review for the for the week is that uh and the halloween or halloween, the exorcist believer is is horseshit don't believe it yeah right? it all it is is too too possessive <laughs> um i just want to all right so in the in the interest of moving on here <laughs> I want to mention that uh, I went to the Heartland Film Festival in Indianapolis, Indiana, or the opening weekend, um, I guess a couple weeks ago, once, you know, on date of airing. Um, I just want to say this is the 32nd year for this film festival. It's in the middle of the Midwest. That's not Chicago, right? right? I mean, it's in a city that's not Chicago in the Midwest. 
But this festival continues to, I think, surprise and intrigue with the movies that it brings in. Um, I only got to see a handful of films just because of time and everything. But, you know, the the Grand Prix winner from Cannes was there, right? I mean, Anatomy of a Fall yeah. was, was sort of like one of the big, not even the opening night, right? But one of the big screenings, which, by the way, that movie is a banger. It is I have so not seen good. it yet, but it's on my list. It is so good. Um, have you seen her first film, Sybil? Justin yes. Trier's, yes. which is a bug nuts fucking movie yeah, and is. not very good. No, it's right? not. <laughs> to be no, honest, there's not. some there's some cool stuff going there. And again, Adele X. Arparkalis is is amazing in everything she does. <laughs> um, another underrated actress, as I said, I think last podcast. Um, but this film was great. It's really good. Sandra Huller is is amazing. Um, Jenny Beth from Savages is in it. She's amazing too. Um, so check that out. I also saw Foe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new Paul Mescal, Saoirse Ronan film that's coming out soon. I'm mixed on that. Yeah. Interesting concept, but yeah. I have a feeling Mescal's going to have a hard time, like, I do too. finding his footing, yeah. having, finding his sweet spot. He's going to need a, I, I fear like he'll go the Pedro Pascal, not to, not, mm-hmm. not, to rhyme, mm-hmm. not to have rhyming actors here, but like. The well, rhyme. have you watched Passages yet? I have. I, I have haven't not, watched it yet, no. but that's one that I want to get to and actually talk about on on sure. on this show. Um, but I think he's going to be really good in roles like that. Roles where he's asked to be a little vulnerable, um, a little against type, I guess. Because, look, I mean, he's a he's a hunky dude. Right. I mean, he and he seems like he could be very manly, like a manly man, (laughs) (laughs) very, very, very masculine to the verge of or to the edge of kind of like toxicity. But he never, never does. And so like his character in After Sun to me is is what he's really, really good at because it's kind of surprising. Yeah. I wonder if he's going to be battling out roles with Benny Safdie or like the kind of um it just seems like that may be where they're trying to yeah, push him into. Yeah. And Safty kind of fits that like, um, oh, I've seen that guy. Yeah. And, but he's also menacing and kind of got that. And he's, he, Mescal's ha- more handsome than Safty right. is. But, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's that menacing thing where it's like, yeah, he might like kiss you and <laughs> hug you or he might just, you know, slit your throat. Um, he does show, he, He's tasked with a difficult job in this film of playing two versions of himself. Um, and he, I think he accomplishes that in very subtle ways. And so I think the acting is really good in this movie, um, all three of the leads. Um, but it's kind of the overall execution and concept. I'm like, oh, I don't know that that needed to be as long as it was. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but but it's, it, it does make you think, and it's interesting to check out. So anyway, just a shout out to the... Um, film festival because it's yeah it's great so and also to the can can cinema in indianapolis which is like my new favorite place in the world i've told you about mm-hmm. this but it's a it's a fucking three screen art house theater it's a, and i'm just kind of in awe of the films they bring in and the fact that they're still open right, right after like right you know only a couple of years because I, I saw um, a 4k restoration of cure while i was there as well and the next night they were showing greg Araki's nowhere so they're bringing in really great stuff. Yeah, Rocky's getting like they're really yeah. shopping that. Uh, yeah. you know, his kind of resurgence and, yeah. and and that's cool. I like that. I mean, yeah. Duvall is going around a lot, like yeah. promoting those films, which is good for him too. I, I, I like him a lot too. Yeah, so. no, he's 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 great. Um, I just watched a movie called May with him in it, 
The, this was an older one. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, where she yeah. You puts the where she puts the, the yeah, 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 yeah. But I just love how he shows up and <laughs> like, hey, there he is. <laughs> yeah, May's um, way underrated. Like it was one of those ones that was touted, and then it kind of like I don't think it ever really got the push that it needed. It was right. it was pre A twenty four. Yeah, like, I think nowadays I think it would be it would be a, a huge I, hit. But yeah. like, um, and I mean it does have a kind of resurgence. I think with like, you know streaming and everything. But yeah, Jeremy Sisto mm-hmm. and um. Oh, come on. What was her name? What's the other? Anna Ferris. A young yeah. Anna Ferris. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was cool. It was, yeah. Um, All right, so. Do you want to tell us how the Veronica Mars viewing <laughs> is going? I mean, do you want to so, so follow up? On yeah, that? so we talked about it last time. That now we're to the point of our <laughs> Veronica Mars binge where now we're hate watching it till the end at this point. Like, so we've got. I know that moment. Like, I, I know that moment, yeah. Like, it's season three when she goes off to college. It's a like, here's what I wanted to have happen, right? I wanted to wait season three. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's, season three, she goes off to when did she go to New York? That's season okay. four or okay. the movie. I can't remember now. Oh, which. wait. I, okay. I can't. That is, that is the movie, right? That's the movie. Okay. Movie. So the movie's like season York. four. Right? Yes. Okay, okay. That was the Kickstarter. <laughs> and then they got enough to do Hulu series, put it back on yeah. like 10 years later. I know. Like 10 I know, years later to the point where like Logan looks like a fucking man. Like this guy, <laughs> like and he's cut. I know. Like, his I know. Face is skinny, like his face is gaunt. Like he really, I mean, it's crazy how different he huh. looks. Naval intelligence. Also. <laughs> And so let me back back up. Sorry, so season sorry. three, what I was hoping after season two, after they graduated high school, is that it would turn into like a Scooby-Doo type series, <clears throat> like an adult Scooby-Doo with Monica, Monica, Veronica being uh, Fred. And, you know, and then you had uh, Wallace's uh, Velma. No, the other girl's Velma. Right. And yeah. And Wallace then, and is then, Daphne. <laughs> yeah. So have, yeah, have Mac be Velma or uh, uh, that Daphne, uh, Wallace be Velma. And then you could have Dick uh, Cassavetes. Right. Be be shaggy, right? And then and then back up, be the dog. It'd be perfect um, for them to go off and so- solve the crime of the week. But this time, they she goes to college, and there's still a crime of the week. Although there's also a a larger series of campus rapes, and then the dean gets mm. murdered. It gets to be very very convoluted, and then to the point where it ends on a cliffhanger. Season three, and I'm like, wait a minute. I'm sitting here going through Hulu and I'm like, wait a minute, there's no more episodes for this fucking season. And like Veronica's voting for her dad for sheriff. Sheriff. And but he's also been accused of erasing uh, evidence that she's that shows her breaking into a house to, to, you know, to get information on the Skull and Bones Society of Neptune College or what. I know it's not what a Hearst College. And so then if you're watching it on Hulu, you jump directly into the Veronica Mars like adult series. Mm -hmm. She's cursing now. There's like she's there's adult sex scenes with like almost nudity. Like Mm -hmm. there were just like it's like I had to like sit up. I was like, oh, what am I what am I going to see? Are we going to see like this can't be happening. I like how I, I can imagine just pausing like, and sort of it's like getting wait a minute, trying different different angles on the couch to see if you can sort of. <laughs> that's but, not how it works. But, but. but season three was bad enough to get through, and then I don't know. Yeah, so like in this, like Clifton Collins Jr. is in fucking season four. I'm like, this guy will do any. This guy's an Oscar nominated actor. What are you doing in Veronica Mars season four, good sir? He's fine. He's good in it. I get to. I haven't. We haven't gotten too far. But yeah, this is going to be a. This is going to be a drag across the finish line type of uh, 
uh, event for me for Veronica Mars. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to remember if we made it through all of that last season or if I just said fuck this, I'm done. Because I just like I said, there's a slickness to it that it does. Like I know, but here's I know. the thing: Have you seen Forgetting Sarah Marshall? The where she's yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it it it's very much <laughs> like her series that she's in on that show, mm-hmm. on that movie. <laughs> so it's, it's hard to take it seriously yeah. when she's like animal cops. It's like okay, that's Veronica Mars. That's Veronica Mars season four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Anything else you want to say about Veronica no, Mars? I'm good. I'll let you know how it goes next next episode. Yeah, where good, good. This will be our yet. sort of like, you know, <laughs> Veronica Mars corner, right? right. Every, every episode that we come back with. Um, okay, let's, let, let's go ahead and touch on the new sci-fi film, No One Will Save You. I know there's a lot of stuff going on in this episode, but fuck it, it's our podcast. Right, Who cares, right. right? <laughs> um, I, I, I don't even care about the summary. I wanted to ask you, like, what is your relationship with sci-fi? I mean, it's the same as I, I look, I watch, you watch, I, I watch everything. I mean, so like, I, it's not my go-to, right? Okay. I'm not a huge Trek fan. I mean, like, and it's not that I, I, it's not that I am against it at all. It's just that I find it also daunting at a certain point. Like I watched a lot of like, I bounce in and out. So like, I watched it when I was a kid. Now I watched a little bit of Battlestar Galactica, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit of Buck Rogers, mainly, mainly because of Aaron Gray. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but mainly because of Aaron Gray. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, but, I, and she was on the fall guy too, right? The TV uh, show. Wasn't I that don't her? recall. Hmm. I know that I know the fall guy was the, um, other Heather, Heather Thomas. I don't know if Aaron Gray was also on there. She was on silver spoons. Which Maybe was, that's what I'm thinking of. Which would yeah. have been around like, I mean, similar, similar time yeah, frame silver in my mind. 82 is. So maybe that was it. Uh, so I'm not a, I look, I, I am, it's not my, like I said, it's not my go-to genre of film that I, that I would seek out, but I probably would have seen most of the seminal sci-fi f- films out there. Um, but am I, am I hunting out like indie sci-fi films or, mm. eh, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. <laughs> and and it, it falls into like a situation, like, but here's the thing. I'm a huge, like, if you consider like things like Twilight Zone or Outer Limits sci-fi, then yeah, I'm a huge fan of those. I mean, like, so but she's but these, she she was on the fall guy. I was right. I just wanted to say that. Okay. <laughs> uh, alien abduction movies. I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah, neither am I. I didn't and know that that's, that's really an abduction film here. But I mean, it's well, I had no idea that this was an alien abduction film. Or I probably would have told you to like fuck off. I'm not watching this because <laughs> I'm not. I mean, I'm not a huge genre film. I'm not a big genre anything. Right. right sure. Um, I think we've made that clear. <laughs> but some people really love sci-fi. Some people sort of live and die by this stuff. Um, in terms of literature and movies, right? Sci-fi fantasy, that's some people's, you know, rags. And that's, that's great. I was just curious because I know your sort of affinity for some of these other types of movies. I didn't know if this fell in there. And I know, like, I wonder if there was a, 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 a Jallo like sci-fi, if you'd be into that. Probably. Yeah, probably. Probably would, so. Right, that right. sounds awesome. <laughs> that, that, sounds, that does sound kind of <laughs> cool. <laughs> but I, so what I think is interesting about this film is the fact that there is almost no dialogue. Right. That, I mean, I find that really, that was the only reason I kept watching. I'm like, she's never going to talk. And this is really kind of cool because it gives it this sense of, you know, small town USA, right? A kind of whimsy, a kind of early Spielberg kind mm-hmm. of feel to it. Um, and then it just like completely falls apart. But 
I mean, that stuff to me, that, that was pretty interesting how it starts off with her in this kind of anachronistic home, making her own clothes, making dresses, sending things, these things out to people. And then, of course, we get into some more nefarious or was it nefarious? I don't know. <laughs> right. The idea that it's all just a, 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 an embodiment of her trauma and how this town is treating her. And, and Yeah. Um, I, I do think I'm a little wary of gimmick films. I, yeah. I do think that these things, like we talked about with Skin and Marink, these things work better in short form mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. by the time that you have realized what is going on with this, and it's not like the quiet place where there's a still like a, um, um, I, and I don't know, not that, not that I'm going to like champion a quiet place yeah, necessarily, uh, but because I feel like that's more gimmicky than, than, the, <laughs> right, right than this one was. Um, I do think that, uh, the actress is fine. Um, I, I oh, I think she's a little better than fine. You think so? Yeah, I'm a I'm a fan of hers too. I like I like Caitlin Devers. Yeah, um, and I think I that like she does. Hard. I don't. Here's the thing. I'm not sure that she is a good enough actress yet to pull off what's really being asked of her, which is to do a lot kind of with her face and with action. But I do think she does well in this embodiment of someone who is a little wary all the time of everyone. And we don't know exactly why. Right. Where she, she wants to sort of engage, but knows that she can't, right, with other people. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is that kind of stilted movement that works well with her. She, she does okay, I think, with some of the face acting. But yeah, I think that there could be. I think my problem with her so far is that her look just lends itself to a younger yes, look. Yes, so like yes. when she's in Booksmart, I believe that she's a high school student. Um, and when she's in Dear Evan Hansen, which I did, you know, which is a terrible movie, but I, um, but I don't, but I believe that she, I, in this, it's hard for me to believe that she's a woman that has, you know, and again, she's not old necessarily, but has this much trauma or would be this ostracized. Um, I, I think the, my problem with this movie is that it does, it tries to do it. Like I said, if it had been short form and it hid all the things that it needed to hide. Yeah. Um, this idea of jittery, uh, computer generated aliens and, and, and like they're different sizes and like, I, I get it. I get it's all a metaphor, right? Cause she ends up and she's now in this world that is controlled by the aliens. And I guess they were trying to, again, it's up for interpretation, but now she's in an idyllic world where everyone's back and it's fine for her again. Right. Right. right like, but she's the one who rejected because these aliens, it's kind of like a body snatcher type Right, right. Too. They, they put this thing in your throat and her, yeah. There's, but it almost makes you, it like fools you into believing that you're in a world that is okay. Right. And so she rejects that. Right? I mean, she sort of takes a thing out of her like throat or whatever and, and kills it. And so she's the only one who kind of rejects that, but yet she's still, and then it's almost like they build the world around her. Right. Which true. is, yeah. And, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not interesting enough to go back and revisit no. them. That's the problem. That was the same problem with Skin and Marine, because I just, I didn't, like, it's too long. And this is not necessarily an over, I think it was an hour and 40, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I yeah. Know, it was long enough. Um, right. But, like, had it have been an hour, had it have been, like, I, I think this would have played better. And had it held its cards closer to its chest, I mean, mm -hmm. I think that would have worked better, too. Because yeah. trying to lay out everything and also trying it to make it, um, you become way too heavy handed when you're trying to, to, to extend this narrative over 90 plus minutes and it, because it's not warranted. Right. 
and you're trying to, then now all you're doing is watching a girl run from place to place. Um, and so, and then you know she's not going to talk. And so, okay, fine. It, it, she's going to go from here and she's going to hide and she's going to get exposed and she's going to go from here. So it just becomes repetitive. And if you are scared by the beings, it might hold some interest for you. But ultimately, it, it, it's just, okay, well, that was a thing I watched. Yeah, yeah right, right. <laughs> Yeah, I I th- I think 70 80 minutes tops and don't tell us anything. You know, did you, you know? see the the post pandemic movie Host and on Shutter? Um I didn't, but I know it, that was the perfect form for yeah. that and it was really really well done. It was 65 mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. 60 minutes long. This this idea of a demon on a Zoom call, mm-hmm. you know, picking off people. You don't overstay your welcome in this case. You make it tense enough. You know, this, I I think this movie would have done much, much better had it have jettisoned the aliens altogether. Because then once you start seeing the aliens, then you start, I mean, like, I I get that that's, but like, take Vast of Night, for example, which is the perfect way to do this type of movie. That's exactly the film I was thinking of, too. It, it, It does this so well. You don't. You have, it is War of the Worlds, right? You yeah. have the threat of the aliens, but you never see them. Now, again, War of the Worlds, <laughs> the, 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 the teleplay, not the, uh, not the, not the Tom Cruise movie. Um, <laughs> or the numerous TV series that have been made of the <laughs> right, same idea. Right. Yeah. But had this have been a potential breakdown of her psyche because of the constant ostracization of her life, right. this would have been an interesting movie. Yeah, yeah. And we never had to find out why. Right. See, I was like, don't, I don't need to know what happened. Right. I, I, I'm exactly. like, I'm, yes, don't, do not tell me, just let it sit there, right? And that's another thing that I thought the, the film did poorly was that it showed us this thing in like this terrible kind of flashback. <laughs> right. Um, it's, it's, these are one of these, like, I, this is another one of these films that is, again, I don't, I, I, I feel a little bad being this hard on it because it, I don't think it deserves to just completely be unwatched. But like, it's one of those films, I think that it is, it is, it exists as content filler. And I, I, there's hopefully there, that the filmmaker has better films in them to do something. And they get the chance to do that. But have you seen spontaneous? I haven't. I haven't either. It was his first film. Um, I wanted to go back and watch it, but I mean, I have other things to do and I'm sorry. I can't, only I can't so many, watch so everything. Right. Um, and I was traumatized by Cassavetti. <laughs> um, but it is basically like teenagers spontaneously combusting. Okay. Well, and I like I'm like, that idea. I'm like, okay, this sounds interesting. I mean, you can, without even seeing anything, you can make all kinds of metaphorical connections there. And right. you're like, this seems like an interesting concept. So I'd like to see, and I'll sit down and watch it sometime. I'd like to see how it's executed, but... Like I said, this seems like a really good Ray Bradbury short story. Yeah, yeah. But this does not seem like a movie that we should have extracted out over 90 minutes. No, and I think, and that's what, because it's so long, right? They're like, oh, we have to do this with the aliens. We have to actually show the traumatic event. And like, we're here saying, no, you don't, right? Right, yeah. And you don't show us that. You still don't let her talk, because I really do like the fact that she doesn't talk. And, and because it's not a quiet place kind of thing. It's a, anyway. Right, right. You know, it, that works even better, I think, because of that. So, yeah. Well, cool. Your mileage may vary. Yeah. Our, <laughs> no one will save you. Our, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally, no one will save you um, watching this movie. All right, let's finish off some All right, Cassavetes. let's get to Cassavetes, and we're going to start with Gloria. Gloria! You see 
Jenna Rollins is Gloria. She's tough, but she sides with the little guy. I don't want to die. What do I do with you? You know, you're not my family or anything. You're, you're, you're just a neighbor's kid, right? Gloria, you know, we're not interested in you. All we want is the book and the kid. What are you going to do? Shoot a six-year-old kid on the street? For Gloria, the danger is always getting closer. And getting closer is always the danger. Tony? Gloria? How are you? Can you help me? Gloria, trust me. Maybe we can do something. Trust you? Hey, Tony, I know you. Where is the boy? I want to go home. Hey, don't be stupid. You got no home. You got me. I understand. You are a woman. He is a little boy. You fall in love. Every woman is a mother. You love him. I love Phil. Do you love me? How could I resist you? Hey, I don't like this kid. We need the boy. I'm gonna get up and walk out of here now. If you want to stop, you can. Like Cagney and Bogey and all those great tough guys. Now there is Gloria, a chick off the old block. Come on, come on. Oh, I'd love it. Come on. Don't hang back. I'd love it. I got a six-year-old kid over there that had his whole family murdered by you punks. Go ahead, Trent. Okay? You little woman beat ya. You little tiny nothing. General is Gloria. She's trying to beat the mob at their own game. One of the things before I get into Gloria, one of the things that you know, digging into Cassavetti's, watching all these Cassavetti's films, also means I think gaining a new appreciation for Jenna Rollins mm-hmm. and how oh. just incredible she is. And I mean. I mean, what else was she in where she was as good as, as I mean, as, as the Cassavetti's she, film? No, nothing. Okay. I, mean, I mean, as she aged, I mean, I think she was always, she brought a solid presence to. Of course. But I mean, like, you don't get material like this. Right. And so, and able, and, and so, like, it's, yeah, it's, it's damn near impossible. Um, I mean, see what, they did 11 films together? Something, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, hell, I mean, that's a. That's if you a career, get, yeah. You get eleven good films yeah. under your belt, and, and and amazing films under your belt, then yeah, then good on you. Um, well, and this is an interesting one because she was, I believe, nominated for this one, right? Nominated yes, for um, yes. best actress for Gloria. Um, here's the short plot line: When a young boy's family is killed by the mob, their tough neighbor Gloria becomes his reluctant guardian. In possession of a book that the gangsters want, the pair go on the run in New York. There you go. Yes. I mean, this is like Cassavetti shoot 'em up. I mean, right. in in a way, right? It is it is a 
another mob picture in the vein of a bookie. Yeah. But it's a little, I don't know, this is also a kind of cat and mouse movie. I don't know. I think this movie's really interesting. Um, yeah, you, you could almost dismiss it as Cassavetes light. I mean, he didn't intend to direct this. Right. He just wrote the script. Yeah, he wrote the script. And was going to sell it. Yeah, and, and, and basically it was like a two-hander because he wanted, well, Streisand was wanted it first. Like, mm. Streisand comes off of Star is Born, and she's like, I want to write. I want to work with Cassavetes, and Cassavetes is like, "Why the fuck would I want to do that?" <laughs> I love that he's one who's like, "Why? Why would I? <laughs> right. Why would I want that?" And then, so he wrote my fucking hero. He wrote Gloria, and he, like I said, he was just going to sell it. Actually, um, didn't Columbia actually buy it? I mean, yeah, they yeah. did. Um, so Roland, Roland was like, I, "You don't ever write anything for kids. Why don't you write anything? Why don't you think write anything that has mm-hmm. kids in it?" Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Fine," and then just wrote it. Um, and it was like I wrote it with the intent that that Gina would star in it, and um. So Columbia buys it, and it's like, and his agent's like, we got good news and bad news. And he's like, well, what's the good news? It's like, well, they bought it, and they want Gina to star. He's like, what's the bad news? They want you to direct it. It's like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, but they paid him a million for him and yeah. Gina. So, that, I mean, like, they were out of the red from whatever they, what they were from yeah. opening night and, and uh, killing the Chinese bookie. Um, and actually, Streisand did read the script, and she was like, this is not for me. Um, <laughs> you know, she was like, basically, I'm not old enough. I don't want my audience to see me like this kind of thing. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, it's, it's probably for the best. This would have been a terrible Barbara Streisand oh film. Oh, my God. Like, and I don't mind Streisand as an actress, really, but, like, it, this would have not been the role for it. Kind of, it's hard. Like, but, it, but you look at, like, the remake and, like, Stone and trying to do this, and it, this would have been a hard role for anybody to pull off. But you have to have kind of that, and she's right, she wasn't old enough for the role at the time. Um, but you kind of have to have that kind of tough, you know, um, ex-gangsters gal mm-hmm. kind of mentality mm-hmm. that that I think Rollins could pull off. And, and I don't, obviously, I don't think Streisand at the time could have pulled it off at all. So, you know, it's funny too, this movie was also written as a starring vehicle for Ricky Schroeder. Um, th- that's why Columbia, want, oh, I'm sorry, that's why Columbia <laughs> wanted a kids movie. Is because Schroeder had just come off of the champ with John mm-hmm, Boyd, mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. needed another vehicle for him, and um, so uh, they picked up this script. Even though the script is written for a Latino kid, the, the Casavetes yeah. wrote it as a Latino kid, of a Puerto Rican yeah. kid, and uh, and <laughs> Rollins was like, "Why did you write it as a Puerto Rican? It was written for Schroeder. Why did you write it as a Puerto Rican?" And he's just, he's like, "I just did." And so it, it, it made sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially I mean, because it's set in the Bronx. I mean, I guess you could have Ricky Schroeder in the Bronx in like 1980, but yeah, Schroeder. But like, it's more <laughs> Schroeder. Obviously, doesn't take the role. He he ends up they buy the script for him, and he ends up like signing with Disney. Like he leaves them and signs with Disney yeah. like within the week. Um, although this would have been an interesting, I mean, it would have been an interesting role for him. I, I do think early Ricky Schroeder was pretty good. Um, uh, you know, I mean, like you know, and again, it's he's a kid actor. I right. think the kid that they got for this fucking role is amazing in this yeah. movie. Well, we were talking about this, and I told you he won a Razzie. Right, which is one, fuck you, Razzies. For I mean, like, nominating you, kids? Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. Piss up a pole, dude. Like, go fuck yourself. Because, I mean, like, who the fuck are you? Like, It's like, <laughs> know, me, it's like me telling David Gordon Green he doesn't have talent. I get it. It's the exact same fucking thing. Um, well, but David Gordon Green's a grown man. <laughs> true, true. Not, not like an eight-year-old. I mean, so you make a good point. You know, I, 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 it's still yeah. David Gordon Green. If you want to have a, if you want to explain the Exorcist believer to me, and like, I, I yeah, mean, what happened? Well, I think he lives in Austin, so it's well, not like it's that you far know, away. drive on up, and we've got an open seat. Okay. <laughs> the, the, yes, there, you have an open invitation to come on here anytime. 
Uh, and we'll talk all the real girls yeah, and, and George and, Washington all you yeah, want. Yeah, and we like at least some of your films. So, uh, but this kid is so fucking good in this role, man. Like as much as good and, and like, and he's because he's good and like because he authentically feels like a six year old yes. in this yes in, yeah. in this situation. Yeah, that's what makes him so. And like again. And again, we'll, I'll talk more about the the remake as we get to the end of this. But like, this kid has this weird like the way that he carries himself. He has this weird like wardrobe that he has. It's like ultimately like seventies New York. Like, and I I don't I mean like this kind of like I, like this kind of Latin way of dressing with it's like, like white from pants. Carlito's way. Yes, yes. <laughs> like when he, when he, and, and again, I don't want to like I don't want to. It's a there's a weird like and it. It's not, there's a weird like dynamic between Rollins and yeah. like, where the kid is like romantically tethered to her in a lot of ways. Right. And like where at the, at the beginning of the movie, as his, as his Buck Henry, his dad is about to be killed by gangsters. Buck which, Henry, the director of uh, Heaven Can Wait. <laughs> Buck Henry tells him, you're going to be the man. You're, you're the, the man, man now. You, you got to be the man. And he's like, I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm the man. And like, so he like, and he has to grow. I mean, he he feels like he has to grow up now. He's right. no longer six. He's like, I'm an adult, right? I mean, there's this scene where um, Rollins, as Gloria, you know, takes this kid and goes to basically like what is like a safe house or a mm -hmm. second place, right? And he, she goes and like goes, takes a bath and everything. He runs out, buys a news or steals a newspaper, sees about the death of his family, right? He comes back. He's in the hallway crying. And she's like, come on, we got to go. And he's like, you don't tell me what to do. I'm the man. And he just goes on this, like, he's just so pissed, which is a great scene where he's like, I'm the man. You hear me? I'm the man. I make decisions, not you. I'm the man. <laughs> and so yeah, he's taking this. I mean, really, I mean, he's grieving. Right? Right. He can't use that language, but he's grieving. And this is how he's doing it. Right. And so then, yeah, he builds this, you know, like attraction to her and this connection to her, um, an attachment to her where he's like, okay, I'm the man and you could be my mother and my girlfriend. <laughs> right. It's like, it, he it's, just doesn't. And like, I don't think that this movie gets nearly enough credit no. for that. It's that scene in shadows, right? Where it's like, after we've had sex for the first time, what do I do? Do, no, I, do I love you? Do we move yeah, in together? Mean, like, is this, didn't know it could be so awful. <laughs> it's this, this, kid who is both of these people this dynamic that they have together um you know this back and forth and it both at, at, at different times they're both trying to ditch each other mm -hmm. um and and they, and they ultimately end up coming back to one another this idea that he you know he like he strips down to his underwear one night and he's like and it's, this is not sexual at all no I no no, no, no the wrong no, impression no. of that this movie but like um where and he goes and lays down on the bed and she's kind of laughing at him because he's like she's on the bed too but he's like this like like little like kid who's trying to be a bigger kid than yeah. what he is. Yeah. Um and and it's and like he has but he has no idea how to be in this skin. I think like again, I, I think that you know, this this kid, and again, to give him a fucking Razzie, this, I know, this I know. kid couldn't read, dude. So <clears throat> right. this kid had to memorize his right. lines. And like and <laughs> there was a there was an anecdote about how um they were going through rehearsal. And Rollins was like, it just kind of, she'd gone through it a few times. And, and then she was like, she was just like, here's my lines, blah, 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 blah. And he was like, whoa, what, what, what are you doing? Are you, you're not going to say it like that, are you? She's like, look, kid, 
I've been acting for years. You've been acting for four fucking days. Like, just chill out a little bit. Of course, I'm not going to do it like that. But his whole thing was about how to, like, he couldn't play it because he couldn't just read it. Yeah. He had to, like, yeah, he had, he had to, to live the whole thing. And, like, there's there's a scene when they're in the diner and, like, Rollins tells the waitress, to, like, what are you, stupid? Get, a cake, get, get the kid a cake or whatever. And the kid looks at her and he's like, you're so tough, aren't you? Yeah. Just, yeah. like, calling her out, like, it's, hey, this is your bullshit. Like, what yeah. are you doing? Like, we all know who you are. Like. Stop pretending to be this. And she's like, yeah, of course I am. I'm just, this is an all an act, kid. It's all an act. It's just like, I've got to be this way because I'm in this world yeah. Of, yeah. of gangsters and mobsters, which can I say, and I said this off off mic, but like, this is the most inept group of New York City mobsters oh, I've ever seen in my entire life. It's really, it's like, just. Like at so many points, they have the kid and the band. And, and they get out of it somehow. I love <laughs> and it. And they just walk out. I love it. I love it. The scene where in there, I had to watch the scene where they were in the, the first diner, I guess the, the first restaurant a couple times. Because I was like, when did the mob get there? Because like they come in and sit down. It's like right after they go get Rowan's money and they're going to treat themselves to a nice dinner. Like. And they sit down and then all of a sudden, like the, the gangster table comes in the back room and sits down. And I'm like, were they there the entire time? Why didn't they just grab the kid? Because like, they they're in a crowded restaurant. <laughs> OK, but they're New York mobsters in the 70s. But then not... she walks. But she's always surprised. This is the thing that I, I, I love this, too, is that she is always willing to do the thing that like you wouldn't expect a woman to do. She walks up to the to the table of mobsters and puts a gun to one of their heads mm-hmm. <laughs> and just says, all right, empty your, give me all your bullets, basically, <laughs> right? And she just stands there in the middle of this restaurant, right, with this pistol to his head. Like, she just, as much as she's like, yes, this is all an act, she's willing to do whatever it takes, right? Right. At, at any turn. And I, I just, I think it's wonderful. <laughs> I really do. Um, but this kid, and this kid, back to this kid. The way he moves, I think, is so great too. Where he's almost always like, he's twixt in between, yeah. right? Do I do I stay? Do I run? Uh, how do I run? It's but it's great because it feels so, again, like so lived in, so real. Because in this situation, right, and when they're all just on the run, and you have no fucking clue what you're doing. I, I think I can see where Cassavetes like feels like this is a tossed off script, mm-hmm. right? It's just it's just a. A road movie with, you know, and this has been done a, a thousand times before, you know, a, a fish out of water, mm-hmm. you know, two people who shouldn't be together type thing. But with him directing it takes it to such another level because one, obviously, Rollins can, can, can I was going to say with in him. with her. Yeah. The right. two of them. But him being able to, to, to navigate this kid through his first acting experience and be able to like extract the, I, I, I again, like it, if you, I can see you being annoyed by this kid because that's the intent, right? That's the, the kid's supposed to be annoying. That's why she wants to ditch him. And then like, (laughs) oh shit, I got, I can't do that. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, to, to say that this kid deserved a, a, you know, a Razzie or, or even sort of bad marks or bad reviews is fucking ludicrous to me. It's just dumb. Cause, uh, and, and he's, and he looks the part so well. This is that big, like fluffy, curly fro, but like this nice, like head of hair. Um, it's just kind of like shaggy on Kim because he's a six year old. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 But I think, I mean, I think the kid and Rollins and then coupled with Cassavetes, I mean, that's what keeps this from being a paint by numbers Mm -hmm. kind of mob movie. Right. I think in lesser hands, even even with Rollins in the starring role, like I said earlier, I think with a different director, Rollins doesn't have the freedom, doesn't have the kind of encouragement to do what she does so well in this film. Right. And I think it, with a different director, it does become 
a paint by numbers thing. It well, becomes a regular like we all know the beats and and also like this this movie doesn't get enough credit for the score nor the oh, opening yeah. credits. How oh, this like yeah. handles all of it. Like it is such a it is such an art house spin on this mm-hmm. whole like movie type. It's just and like it's it's crazy how well he did all of that. It's also funny to me. This gets distributed by Canon, right? I mean, like it's like, yes, yeah. So, so Golan Globus is yes, involved yeah. in this distribution, yep. which is what I had to believe because there's a car crash in Love Streams as well. I had to believe those two guys were like, "All right, fine, we will make your movie, but you're gonna have to put some sort of action into this film." <laughs> so we're gonna need a couple of cars tilting over in both of your films <laughs> because That's, we've yeah. got to finance Superman Four. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it and it's and it's such a New York movie too. I mean, it's very much. I mean, it, it has that. It, I think these last couple movies, this one less so than Love Streams, but they start to show maybe some stuff that Cassavetes didn't do in previous films, or at least as much with his sort of technique and camera work, right? Yeah, I mean, he starts. He look, Golden Globe has definitely kept a rein on him mm-hmm. on, on a lot of ways, like. You know, so the gone was the shape. What gone was the handheld cameras? Yeah. Um, you know, they did like I don't know if does Ruben to to shoot. I know he shoots love streams. I don't think he shoot like no. So this was a this was a union shoot. So they had yeah. like he had to work with a bunch of different people he has never used to working for before. Yeah. So, uh-huh. um, but yes, yeah, so I think yes, I agree with you that uh, there's there's things that that the, the he's playing in a different um, mm-hmm. in a different <clears throat> arena this time out. But I think. But I think he does it so well. I mean, I really appreciate, I think, the kind of cinematic qualities of these, of these pictures. Um, but, but again, like that, that art house sensibility, there's so much where, you know, if we're thinking like Hollywood movie fans, we're asking questions, right, of like, well, what about this? And why are these guys here? And why are that? But again, a typical Cassavetes film, it doesn't matter. Right. Stuff is just there and stuff just happens and you just cut whenever you want to, which is again, like what I love about these films. Yeah. Right. There's a, there is another anecdote about, so after Rollins uh, gets the kid, they go to an apartment and it's this nice kind of lavish apartment. And there was a line in the script where like, we're going to go to my sister's apartment. We're going to take care of this. Mm-hmm. And John cuts the line and Rollins is like, they're not going to know whose apartment this is. It's like, what does it matter? It's like yeah. an apartment. Who cares? It's a, it's a friend. It's a sister. It doesn't matter. It's just an apartment they go to. It's fine. Like, the audience, we don't need to tell them. It's okay. Yeah. But but again, I mean, I just, I don't know. It's something that I really appreciate about his films. And yeah. it's, I mean, look, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I mean, I'm a fan of some of these other European directors who do the same thing. So it fits right in with my, I don't need to ask that question. I don't care. (laughs) They're on the run. Who gives a fuck, right? (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) They're going somewhere to stay safe. I don't really care whose house it is, right? Right, and taking time to explain whose it is, it just bogs it down. Right, and it's just going to be exposition, and I don't give a shit. Right. I I don't. And, And of course the gangsters know, because they know everywhere that she's going to go because she was with those guys, right? So they're going to go to all those haunts and she's going to go to all the places she thinks are safe from her past life, right. which of course they're not. Right. But, but again, that's part of the fun of this film. I mean, this, this movie is so much fun. It is so much fun. It's at times silly yeah. right? And, yeah. and funny. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's a romp. It's great. So what do you think about the ending? <clears throat> I don't know. Look, I think, this- I mean, I think it's, I think it's, 
I think it's fine. I like that we don't see whether she gets shot or not, right? And again, I like this. I like this move of her going to the mobsters and like she's like, "Look, here's the thing you want, and you know what? I'm gonna leave now. Stop me if you want, right?" right. And of course, she shoots one of the guys and gets in the elevator and 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 leaves. You know, they had been to that cemetery before, and he had talked. You know, she's like, "Talk to the tombstone. You know, tell your parents goodbye right. or whatever." I mean, so it does come back you know, to something we've seen before. Um, I don't know. I mean, it could have just ended with, with that car pulling up uh, in, without her getting out. Right. With a little bit of mystery. Right, right. Right. Then you don't know if it's the mobsters or yeah. if it's her getting Which out. Which is right? typically how he ends a lot of films without a but kind of clear resolution. This is a but, mini in Moskowitz ending. Like this is a, it is, this it is, is a, we're going to like, who knows if it's actually a dream or not, but it's, we're going to like, we're going to, give you that happy ending feel. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also think this is like Jeannie from Faces, and she got older. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, this, this is like watching all of these together. It, it is a lot of Casavetta cinematic universe. Like it's just, these could all lead into one Well, another. and I, I, that's going to come up when we talk about love streams too, I think. Right? But I, I, I do think that Casavetta likes throwing these kind of curveballs to people and like kind of fucking with the narrative a little bit of oh, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've kind of put you through the ringer and I'm going to give you this thing that you didn't think you were going to get and you probably don't deserve. And like, but I'm still going to like, <laughs> of course we don't. Right. Yeah. And so you're going to question it even because I'm yeah. giving it to right, you. Right. Like, you're going to look at it. I'm just messing with you. Right. I want you all to know this. <laughs> you're going to feel happy for a second and be like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this, uh, yeah, the, I, that's. So much fun. I, I do, I do <clears throat> like, and I do feel like that probably was a little bit of a canon distribution thing as well yeah. of like, let's give them a little bit of the kid doesn't die, you know, or, you know, yeah. we can't, if you want this to be a nice summer flick, we've got to be able to like, you know. Yeah. And, and it is a nice, I think, spin that the, the old lady and the little kid get away, right? They, mm -hmm. they, even though they shouldn't, right? There's no way, like we've talked about, there's no way they should, but they do. Um, won the Golden Lion at Venice. Yeah. This film. Also, did you know, which I'm sure you did, but listener, did you know <laughs> that this was one of um, Kurosawa's favorite films? Oh, really? Made, I actually, oh, I didn't know that. It <laughs> made his, um, his list of like 100, top 100 favorite films, and it was his favorite of 1980, right? This and um, A Distant Cry from Spring. Two two films that are exactly the same. <laughs> exactly the same. This was from if you're if you're wondering about the source of this information, this was a list published in Far Out magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a real thing. I didn't just make that up. I promise. I don't think they're still um, in publication, but uh n yeah. <laughs> anyway, Rollins again was nominated for Best uh Best Actress, Oscar, and oh. Did you know that apparently Paul Schrader wanted to make a remake of this? No, I hadn't heard that. Starring Lindsay Lohan. Oh, wow. Ooh. Yikes. <laughs> Listen, she has looked this age for a while. <laughs> I, look, I mean, I don't, I never saw The Canyon, so I don't. I haven't either. I, I, I was intrigued Have when I Have you seen other of James Dean's work? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Uh, I've seen a lot of other Lindsay Lohan stuff. Um, yeah, she's not the actress that can pull this off. No, no. But uh, I've seen. I think I know. I know who killed me, or I, I forget what that movie's called. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
it's that yeah this this femme fatale um noir i mean yeah she just no. that's no that's terrible I, I i love paul but i'm glad he didn't yeah. make this film um and i can't imagine who would financed it either going to and that kind of nice nice set me up for the segue to going into the actual remake that was done by cindy lumet um and starred uh sharon stone it it, it just shows like i don't know why lumet made that movie um i don't like stone is obviously no rollins um she's not old enough to pull off the, the, the movie changes quite a bit uh stone is a um she's taken the fall for a mobster right. and she's like getting out of jail it's the same thing bobby carnival is um the um uh the buck henry role oh okay so the accountant the mom <laughs> right, accountant yeah. um but you know the kid is too cloying, um, mm. and and so the, the the main through pot through through line of the of the kid having a now he's got a flop he's got a computer disk instead of a, oh. a ledger, um, but he doesn't have it, it, like the, it, it does everything that the Cassavetes movie doesn't do, which is explain over explains everything. It, it it there's no tension in the relationship. Um, there's way too much of the mobsters and there and like the, you go mm. to the mobsters a lot to explain their motivation and like it, because look you got George George C Scott is in it um, it's like he plays the kind of elder statesman of the mob that still likes Gloria and is trying to get her to like mm. and then at the end um, so like nothing works like it, it is a it is a clear um, you know example of how not to do, like I don't know why you would have <laughs> wanted to do a Cassavetes remake at this point. Um, well, you know who did? You know who did a really good Cassavetes remake of this film? Luc Besson. Leon, yeah. the professional. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know it's not a direct remake, but <laughs> right. it's, but I mean, watch that film and it's so influenced mm -hmm. by, by Gloria um, and done much better than, uh, yeah, than the remake, than, yeah. than the actual remake. Um, you know, the, the, there's an overblown ending in the, in the remake where she, she takes them to a Catholic church. The Catholic church connects them with a private school that they can get the mm -hmm. kid out. Um, she goes in and is like, uh, kind of does the exact same thing. She kills a bunch of mobsters, but like she's ultimately able to like give them a disc and convince them not to go look for the kid. And then there's this whole like, do I leave the kid at the, at the school or do I not? And there's this like really ridiculous overblown scene where, <laughs> where Stone is driving in a car. Um, as opposed to some other form of transport, <laughs> she's driving a car away from the school, and then she like violently whips it around, and then she drives back, and then violently whips it around like this. It, like it's a, it's you know it, clearly she's wrestling whether or not she should leave the kid or not. It's so bad. It is so awful. And of course, then it ends up on this you know upbeat swell music. It is just like everything a Casabetta's film isn't. And it's just like why did you why did you do this? Like why. Did you want to make like and again, Sidney Lament, like most I of know. his shit's like solid. Really like, good. Yeah. I don't know why you're making this movie. Maybe there was a, a garage or a, a beach house you had to buy or something. Yeah. Maybe a tax bill. That came maybe. Yeah. Maybe there was something, something going on. Anyway, there. just, I don't just, know. Just, just, just watch the original. Yeah. Yes. Don't watch the remake. God. Um, look, this film, like all of Cassavetes films, which we'll keep talking about with love streams. I mean, is itself about love. A different kind of love, but even in like this gangster shoot 'em up, he's examining our human nature, right? The nuances of this kind of love, right? And in and, and, and bonds and what we owe each other. Well, and not only that, but like 
in addition to this this idea of of parental love and this and this kind of like also like what that means from from the from the kid aspect of a kid and the aspect of a parent too i mean like this idea of like i don't like either we don't like each other at a lot of different right. times in our relationship right right and a lot of times we want to jettison that relationship and just walk away from and it but we end up away. finding ourselves not able to do that or coming back right and right? getting so far away but then coming back again um okay move on to love streams let's move on okay. to love streams let's love <laughs> is a stream I just don't care. Well, love is dead. Love is a fantasy little yeah. girls have. Love is a stream. It's continuous. It doesn't stop. No, it does stop. I mean, we've had experiences of the heart you couldn't even imagine. You're talking about a guy who, who, who held my hand in a hospital, who cried when his baby was born. Where were you? You see, Judge, when someone is temporarily insane, like Jack here is, and, and, and he's a wonderful guy, but when someone is like that, they don't want to see the people that they really love. Okay, I understand that. person who is sick has to get well before he can be normal, right? I think Sarah is in trouble. Now, you can do what you want, but I'd like you to get her to see somebody if it's not me. Okay? She's fine. Okay, Sarah. Sarah, you're one of the greatest people that I've ever met in my life. You've got to fight it. You're the best. Tell you the truth, I, I, I'm, I'm, I... You are the cutest guy I ever met. I don't want you to go. I love you. You're the only one I love. Oh, shh. So all like yes, but also like all I can think of is like the Kenny Rogers duo <laughs> Islands in the Stream. With Islands in the Stream. So I I read Love Streams and I'm like Islands in this. That is what we are. Uh, <laughs> an emotionally damaged brother and sister must rely on each other after realizing they have no one else. <laughs> yeah, there's not much more plot. Than that. <laughs> this movie, this a lot movie, goes on, but there's not much more plot than that. So this is his last proper film, right? A film that he wrote 
acted and directed. Um, and again, like like I said about Gloria, this is different than a lot of his other films because of the static camera. Because I feel like a lot of because of the blocking, because of the scene setting, because of yeah, the no handheld shots. Um, everything's so much. Everything seems so much more intentional in placement and in technique. And still, this movie's kind of bug nuts. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's it, at this time after Gloria, and really after um, um, opening night, he's doing a lot of stage stuff. Like, and you, you said, I want to go back to something you said about opening night just just a little while ago about how you know it wasn't a success, and he was kind of like making up for that. But it wasn't a, a success because he didn't like the audience's positive reaction, like with so many of other films. He's like. Oh, they don't get it. I got to redo it. I mean, so it's almost like he's making these things. And again, this is why I, I, I do love this man is because if it wasn't his vision, then it wasn't, period. Right. It wasn't going to be, oh, you love this? Cool. I'll leave it alone. It's like, oh, you love this? You didn't get it. Clearly. Right. You didn't understand. Right. So right. let me make you understand. <laughs> Even if that means you don't like it now. So I'm sorry. Okay, no, no, no. <laughs> so he's doing a bunch of theater at this point. They end up like um, either renting or buying a theater um, in New York. And they're doing a lot of um, just it basically just kind of an artist retreat where they're just putting on shows. But it's attracting a ton of A-listers. Mm -hmm. And like it's a weird time in Hollywood. I guess the, 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 a lot of funding is down. So these people are just kind of stopping by and doing these like three, four week residencies at this place. And like the reviews are shit on these places. It doesn't matter because like the one you're being able to write whatever you want to write and people are coming because it's, you know, it's, um, and like the theaters themselves are, uh, ramshackle and makeshift mm -hmm. and it's not like, so, um, but he does take love streams to the stage. It is a, it is a stage play. And it was written by, what was the guy's name? Ted Allen. Yeah. 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 And uh, it stars John Voight and Gina Rollins. Mm -hmm. um, in the stage play, they are husband and wife, not brother and sister. Um, and when they start to take this to get, um, you know, when they start to take this to, to film it, and like, like he go, Cass Fettis goes to um, either Golan or Globus, I can't remember which one. And uh, <laughs> it's like, you explain in the film, and they're like, eh. And then they become more and more enamored about these, you know, these kids who are, tied up in these um emotional uh roller coaster relationships with their parents and their parents are wheels off and they're 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 and again when they're brother and sister and not just two different kids mm -hmm. and i guess cousins in this case that never meet one another it makes more sense that he gets tied up in the in the moment of uh you know so he basically says i don't care we're gonna lose money but it doesn't matter we gotta make this movie and so they make the movie but john voight drops out so they gotta rewrite it where because at that point um, I forget exactly why, but I don't think that, that for whatever reason, um, the, the idea that, that Cassavetes was a playboy on the same level that Voight was, mm. um, that, that was part of the reason they made it brother and sister was because it was more believable. He had to be something else other than, than her husband and still also this. So they made him an author who was writing about women of the night and dancers yeah. and, 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 and what have you. <laughs> So that he could partake in that in that world, um, and then Roland was just his sister, who's also coming out of a bad marriage with uh, Seymour Cassell. Yeah, but I think that that adds a different kind of texture to the story itself, and th and it also gives them each a different kind of agency, 
where it's not this marital relationship. It's this different kind of sibling attachment. It's a different kind of love than he's explored really before, um, but gives them their own kind of streamline. <laughs> I definitely think it works, but I, but yeah. I do see how love streams would have played well as a, like this almost feels like a, an extension of a woman of the influence. And like, even if you had like, if you had to put Falk in the role of like, you could have written it. Of course, if you'd put Falk in the Cassell's role, people would have thought this was a direct sequel. You don't want, mm-hmm. you really don't want that. But in this sense, had this have been a story about that marriage, it makes sense. That this is a woman under the influence too. And mm-hmm. again, there's so much more to I, 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 that. When I say that, it makes, I think it, it diminishes it a little bit. I don't, I don't intend to, um, this obviously stands on its own, but this is clearly an extension of the same themes that we're going through. And Rollins has kind of the same, um, a partially of the same journey that she had yeah. in, in Women of the Influence. Well, Cassavetes only knows how to explore, I think, really one thing. <laughs> I, I know, did, you, did you watch um, the documentary, I'm Almost Not Crazy? Mm. Okay. <clears throat> this was made by Michael Ventura, um, who was on set. And had known Cassavetes, I mean, at least from a distance. Um, but he also wrote the column, um, Letters at 3 a.m. He started, I think he wrote it for the LA Weekly. When that shut down, he did it for the Austin Chronicle. Um, but he was, you know, Cassavetes is talking, and, and basically he's like, the only thing I care about is exploring love, right? He was like, you have to have philosophy. And you know what philosophy is? It's like love, right? And that's like, and so... This is, that's his theme. That's his main thing. Now, you can see how he gets to it in all these different ways. But also, the reason, I, I think both these characters are like quintessential Cassavetti's woman and Cassavetti's man. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right. Absolutely. There's shades of Jeannie. There's shades of Mabel. There's shades of all these people, right, that kind of culminate into her name, Sarah, right, in this mm-hmm. film. You know, she's shades of all those people. This is like, yeah, that kind of apotheosis of all of them. And the same thing with, with Robert, Cassavetti's character. You see bits of Dickie. You see bits of Cosmo. You see bits of um, Nick, mm-hmm. right? All kind of coming to this, this kind of, you know, crest or crescendo. And so, yeah, I mean, you see all of these little bits and pieces from everything that we've watched before. Um, maybe that's why I think it's so good. <laughs> well, what I, what I love about this universe is, and what I love about these films is that Cassavetes, the camera doesn't judge these characters. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, <clears throat> so, like, he lays them bare, and, but he is, he never, he, he's not cynical. And, 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 and he's, like I said, he, he's, not, he's not trying to get you to feel one way or the other. Um, in fact, the more ambiguous you feel about these characters, the, I think you're more in line with what he's actually saying, is that everyone is flawed everyone has these that's kind of real life right right and this this Im- he has this way of embracing the sadness and like and and like living in that moment that you don't see anywhere else but like this idea that we're not going to just move away from this we're not going to give you a, a pat happy ending we're going to let you sit in this because all my characters are going to sit in this that it's it really is it's it's all at once heartwarming and heartbreaking and and just so so powerful but this idea that like there's never been a character on in any of his films that he's passed judgment on 
and they've all been adulterous and drinkers and, and wounded and, and, and misogynist. Right. And mentally ill. And, and it is just laid there for you to take in, um, in the most honest possible way. And it's just, it's really, really amazing what he does with this, this, this idea because it's easy. It's easy to be shitty to people like this. It's easy to, to pass. Well, I'm glad I'm not them or I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, that this is, this is not me and I would never do these things. Right. And there's this idea that, uh, these are just people who, you know, deserve humanity. And it's really, really, it, it, that's, what's so wonderful about all of these. It really is just so powerful. Yeah. And I, and I think, uh, part of that too comes from, comes from the way he lets the actors do what they want to a certain degree. And it comes from his philosophy on acting too, right? That it's about reacting. Mm-hmm. It's about having fun in a way. It's about surprising yourself. It's about, yes, we're putting on different masks, right? But we're not, this is not fucking catharsis, right? Th- this is act, you know, figure this out. Um, and so, yeah. I mean, I think that letting people do that brings more humanity to that role, right? I mean, someone like Falk or Gazara has to figure out, oh, he wants me to sit there, right? <laughs> he wants me to pick up the phone. Okay, but I have to figure out how and like why to do that. And from, so there, yeah, so any judgment comes from that person, right? That character rather than from right. the director telling you, okay, so you're a real piece of shit, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. right. Which right. would be really easy to do and easy to point at some of these characters and go, God, what a fucking loser. Then you're like, but I've done that. <laughs> you know, like, right. Yeah. Well, in all of these movies could have been morality plays. I mean, oh, like yeah. they all, they all like, and again, it would be so easy to, to, to shift all of these movies into, into pat endings and into, into these like neat little bows um, that he refuses to do. And even when he does do it, to a certain extent, like you still are kind of taken aback and off guard by them. Like you don't really, <laughs> because but, it feels so weird. Right. Because he's, he's not judging you. So you don't necessarily trust what he's giving you. And again, mm-hmm. cause you don't necessarily trust that these characters are being honest with themselves either. Right. And, and like, I think what you see here, um, you know, and I think this is such a cool evolution of his films that when you get to love streams, you do feel like you're watching two broken people that, oh don't know how to get out of their own way and have almost embraced their brokenness to a certain extent. You know, we meet Sarah and she's in a, in a divorce, a custody proceeding talking about how I'm going to go around and I'm just going to go to funerals. And I'm going to take my daughter to, I'm going to, we're going to go to New York or Houston. Like, and it's, you know, and, you, and at that point you're like, as an audience, you're like, what the fuck is she talking about? And like Seymour Cassell is in there in like smoking and like, he's, the, the surrogate for the audience in this case too. So we're going to go around to funerals because people like it when I'm around. I make them happy, and I'm going to take my daughter. And, I'm gonna, and their daughter's just like, I don't like. I don't. Everybody in that room is like, you're, you're going to do what? Right. Yeah. But again, like, like the audience is sitting and going, why would you do that? <laughs> right. And then you're met with Robert, and you're like, and he's basically, you know, he he's walking through this house full of young girls. And like they're bathing together and it's not, again, you don't really see, I mean, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not, it's not overly sexual. It's, it's not gratuitous. They're just, but he's walking through and there's all, it's like, it's like the scene in, um, Boogie Nights where, where Burt Reynolds is walking through his own home. Uh-huh. There's just all this like debauchery yeah. going on. They're yeah. drinking and they're having a good time and there's and, sex, there's drugs, right. there's 
nudity, but it's, and then he's interviewing them and talking about sex and, and like, they're all, you can get the idea that they're, they're all dancers or prostitutes and he ends up then just paying them off. Like he gives them all each a check and they all leave. But they're there for like a week or something. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, he's asking them questions. So you under, like eventually you understand it's a kind of research, but it's a real sort of and ca- and ca- experiential <laughs> research. Right. Yeah. So he's writing books on women like this and, and like, he says he's writing books on love, right? And it's just a... Yeah. Uh, but again, I mean, which is kind of an interesting meta-commentary right? anyway, yeah. right? Because people, I'm sure that people look at Gloria and they're like, it's about love? What? And you're <laughs> like, no, really, it is. Or something like Faces, right? Um, even A Woman Under the Influence, where people are like, wait, how is this about? Like, what do you mean this is about? Show me the... There's no like... It's like, no, that's what it is. It's the study of this thing and all the bad and the good. And yeah. so, yes, right? <laughs> And Robert's like constantly at the end, like he looks like he's just done a 72 hour telethon in his tuxedo. That's like either got coffee stains or blood or <laughs> always just, something, always something on it. Like Cassavetes, like this is a perfect role for Cassavetes. And I, I know that like when he had to shift, because if Voight's in this role, it's a much more glammed up role. Mm-hmm. Right? He is, he's going to be the James Bond in this, in this um but I mean, that's that's the thing. Like when I'm when I talk about like the ultimate sort of Cassavetes man, Voight is not that, Mm-mm. right? This is who all of these other characters have like led up to. This really broken, disheveled, but like still straightening his tie, which I just did. No one can see that, but I just straightened <laughs> my tie. But still, like straightening his tie and buttoning his jacket, right? Even though he can't stand up, right, right, <laughs> right? yeah. And he and he exudes this level of like confidence and charisma that is usually only had by people who can go be as functioning alcoholics at that point. Like, it's just this idea of like, you know what, I'll, people will gravitate because that's just what, this is the nature of who I am. Um, and then when they find, so when the brother and sister finally come together and, and you know, basically uh, Sarah's daughters told her that she doesn't want to live with her. Uh, and so did you really, I couldn't quite figure, and I didn't know, because you have a couple of flights of fancy with mm-hmm. Sarah. Yeah. Like, I couldn't quite figure out um, when, how she got from where she was at the custody to to overseas. Like, when. Oh, because she went and talked to her shrink. Yeah. And and the shrink was like, oh, you need to go and you need to go and live. Well, she's like, basically, he's like, yeah, go get laid. Right. Go do something. Because if you don't, you're going to go back into the the nut house. Right. And he's like, you don't belong there. Because she says something to. She's talking to either like one of the bellmen or like, you know, baggage handlers about, you know, can you believe this? My shrink told me I had to go like overseas and go to Europe and da-da-da. And it looks like this very kind of Rowlands thing. So that's how, because again, like, but we don't, we, it, we just kind of catch it in, right. in parting. The most heartbreaking line is when she's like, I need to call my husband. <laughs> and mm. she calls Castle and she goes, I'm almost not crazy now. Right. The line from right. that documentary. And he goes, I just don't care. But you're like, right. Fuck. But yeah. also, again, this movie doesn't judge Castle for that nope. reaction. I know nope. because we're all like, OK, yeah, <laughs> right. Because we get it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, the, the, you know, by the time that, you know, she buys all the pets, you know, so she 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 goes and she's again trying to save her save her brother uh, from this life of kind of emptiness that that he's leading. And she's like, you know what you need? You just need something to love. You mm-hmm. just need a furry little thing. I'm gonna buy. And she says she's going to buy him a kid at first. And then she's like, and then I, you just need something around here. I, I can buy you a parakeet or whatever. And she goes to this pet store and 
I, one, I think that scene with the dog is brilliant. I think that scene where she's afraid of the dog and like it's, I, I thought that was just so well done. Oh, this and, is a good dog. <laughs> this is a great dog. Yeah, yeah. And then she comes, yeah, it's so, there's that, that moment where she comes, she gets in in the taxi. It's a funny scene where the taxi opens up and there's two ponies that come out <laughs> two of the miniature, taxi. Two miniature ponies. <laughs> and like, and the, and the cab driver gets the, cage of of the chicken and the chicks and he's just throwing those chicks out of the cage i'm like jesus let's like let's go this is 85 we can't be doing this in 85 <laughs> get me throwing chicks to the ground they were all fine but still it was very way i know rough way it's to handle just the very chicks. just like tossed off just like this cabbie does not care right <laughs> but the, there's a scene when i guess it's either in when she's in the pet store or she's describing it to robert about it, and she's like this like panicked jubilation that she has and this is like, she's so unsure of herself, but so sure that this is the right thing to do. Ugh, that is such yeah. a fucking heartbreaking scene. And, and she's so good in it. And you can see the connection back to Mabel right. there too, yeah. right? You see similar sort of traits and similar characteristics, um, which again, but, but so much more controlled here, but yet still the same thing. Right. Um, how did you feel about uh, the kid, the actual kid, Cassavetti's kid? Not uh, Cassavetti's kid, <laughs> Robert's right. kid. Wait, because Zan was actually in this. Zan was one of the backup singers. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> this way, I'm sorry. That scene in the nightclub where the first scene in the nightclub mm -hmm. where Cassavetti's is, is standing at the bar kind of watching this. And this song actor, this, this, this uh, female vocalist, and he's just hanging out. And this I get, man in drag. Yeah, right. Yeah, yes, Walks yeah. up to Cassavetes, maybe just a gay, like a, like a flamboyant gay man. Well, right. It was hard. But to I couldn't. I couldn't it. quite tell. That's why right. I was like questioning. Walks up to Cassavetes and and you know kind of starts talking and making eyes, and he says something like, "You're not gay, are you?" And Cassavetes is like, "No, no." But they still talk, and, and Cassavetes goes, "You're fabulous," or something <laughs> right, like yeah. that. And says, "Do you have a card? Can I get your number? Do you have a card <laughs> or something?" Card, which is like this ultimate kind of. Leave me alone, but I think you're interesting. Right. And I just really like that, that moment, this like detachment from this character, right? But yeah. yet still being sort of fully enmeshed in this world. Okay. So yeah, the kid. Uh, I, I liked him a lot. I think, I think that, I think that, uh, I, I think that scene plays out really well. I, I mm -hmm. think, you know, so Cassavetes' um, ex-wife or, or someone is involved in his, in his life basically comes to his house. He's got two girls in his bed and another few in the house. And she's like, this is your son. I need you to watch him for a few days. We're going to go off. And my husband and I are going to go off, do something to make some money. And Cassavetes is like, yeah, all right, fine. And he brings him in the house and then, and then basically says, Hey kid, we're going to go to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> so he takes him to Vegas and then leaves him in a room. Um, and the kid obviously freaks out cause he's been in a room all day and a maid has to order him food. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's like, what? I told you, I told you, I'm, I, I can't sleep alone. I got to go do, I'm a, you're a man. I'm a man. I'm going to go do my thing. You said it was cool. Like talking to a eight year old, like, like he's 25. Yeah. Um, and then they, so they fly back. The kids not having a good time. They fly back off. He's like, kids not having a good time. Um, and he's dropping him off at his mom's house and he, and the Cassavetes, it's like a, it, Cassavetes is like, I'm, I'm sorry. The vacation didn't go so well, which is, I think a great fucking line. <laughs> so good. But the kid runs away and then start and then tries to get in his house and his door, the front door is locked. So he starts banging his head against the front door, like desperately trying to get mm -hmm. in. And I think, you know, I think that's a remnant of like the, the original 
play where they're, but, but I do, I've that kid's frustration with his situation. I, you know, again, it's not really explored and it's not really his story, but I do think it was really well done. And then mm-hmm. he comes back out after the, the, the stepfather kicks the shit out of Casavetes <laughs> and he's like, I love you, dad. You know, I love yeah. you. I love you. And like, they don't, they don't even know each other, but it's this kid who, who knows he should love his father. And that's who he's been told his father is. And it's just, yeah, it's another fucking yeah. heartbreaking scene. And the kid's got blood running down his face and just like, because he's banging his head to the wall and again, or into the door, but just a perfect embodiment of like, I, again, you don't get this. I, I mean, like, I mean, that's, I don't say you don't get this. Like you don't get this much anymore. Like again, where it's just this, this unexplained, but just obvious, like so well done in, you know, embodiment of pain and frustration and, and, um, it's it just it's so rare to see it played out on screen like this that's not explained and you know you don't have to spend time with this kid to understand what he's going through you don't have to see him in therapy or right. you know right. it's so yeah i i i, yeah. I think the i think the daughter i think sarah's daughter's a little less played i i, I don't think that that really kind of works as well mm-hmm. um I do like her scene where she's kind of being shitty to her mom and like, I, you know, which is like every scene. <laughs> right. But the one where she's on the phone, on the phone. right. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, basically where she's starting to feel like she has a little bit more control over her life and like over and like where she can be and stuff. Um, what did you think about the, 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 the flight of fancy scene where she runs them over in the car? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, first, I want to just touch on, you mentioned the scene where the kid goes to Cassavetes and is like, I love you, dad. But I really like the scene, too, where Cassavetes comes back from the night out on the town and with the kid upset and him saying, like, I told you, I told you. But the way he was holding him and hugging him, I thought that was another telling moment very similar. But, you know, Cassavetes realizing, like, shit, I really want something here. I want something with this. But, of course, you know, he comes to realize he's never going to get it. I really liked Sarah's flights of fancy just in general. The running over <laughs> the car. <laughs> and then especially the, I'm going to make you all laugh, right? Um, and then, of course, the ballet, too. Right. And, and how those all worked, or how those, I think, just really showed us how out of touch she was and how kind of literally in a dreamland she was living and how she thought she could make this stuff work, work again. I love you, dummy. Right. 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 <laughs> um, and how, yeah, she kept falling back into that. But again, they're cut in a way where you're like, where did this come from? <laughs> well, at first, and then you're like, especially cause that's the first flight of fancy. And I'm like, holy shit, did she just run him over? Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and kill her. And daughter? then you start to, Oh, okay. That was like a dream thing or like an imagination. <laughs> right. And then does that one happen? Before or after she like has that kind of fit, that like fainting fit. That happens before because that's right, okay. right after she calls him. Like right after he says, oh, right. I don't care. Right. Then she like then she runs him over. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because the other two, I believe, happen um after she like has this kind of like she passes out, right? right. Cassavetes calls the doctor. Um, but the doctor comes in and Cassavetes is like, you know, get out of here. And the doctor's like, Mr. Hartman, your your wife's Neck is stiff. She's not moving and her eyes aren't responsive. I know what the fuck she needs. Get out of here. <laughs> it's just this great like moment. But then she has these other moments of like of like fancy. 
and wakes up and she's like, I know what to do to make it all better now. And like, you know, leaves. But right, right. so, I mean, I, I did like those. And I think, look, I think with all Cassavetes films, it takes us a minute to figure out, I mean, our footing. And I think especially in this film, he keeps us off balance a lot. And I, and I think to good effect. Yeah. And these are moments like that. These are moments where like we're sort of jolted out of something and then jolted back into something. And we're just not quite sure. But then it all makes a kind of sense. I think it. what's interesting about the first Flight of Fancy scene is, you know, you see Cassell dead and he's the bloodiest. <laughs> and then you walk around the front of the car and you see your daughter there. And it's one of those things where it ends there and you don't really, you just see your daughter's arm. And it's one of those things you don't know if Sarah is relieved or upset that she right. also killed her daughter right. in this in this in this uh, scenario right again and again because it is a it is an imagine it's part of her imagination yeah. so well and, and and that's the the other thing i think with her especially is we're always kind of wondering does she really want this back is this does she or does she not and like right. why right right i think yeah it's one of the and i think that's what's again what uh, <laughs> Cassavetes does so well here because it's one of those things where it's you're supposed to want to stay there right she still says that they both each call each other wife and husband even though there's either I guess you're separate who knows what they actually are in this case if they're actually fully divorced or just separated um, but, but it's but fresh she, and so they, they have right. that slip anyway but, she, I mean. but she's talking about how she still loves him and he's a great guy and that you know that she didn't want this mm-hmm. and, now, and so um, and you can see Cassell's like lament in a way but also kind of reluctance and like and and also just kind of exasperation in it all right he's raising a teenage daughter on his own and because he says to her like you can come back but it's not going to be like it was we're to you know we're not to i don't love you anymore whatever he says i forget but um (laughs) yeah you you can come back but just to raise this kid because i can't do it and then you know and then uh, it's you know all of it culminates where there's a rainstorm and they're trying to get the animals animals inside but but this is this is really great too because now we see cassavetti's character frantically trying to get these animals inside and he even's like i couldn't get the goat in i couldn't get the goat in. i mean he's like so kind of upset about not being able to get the goat (laughs) i got the horses and the and the Dick, ducks and the chicks. I almost said dicks. <laughs> I got my merds wigs right. <laughs> the, the, the ducks and the chicks are in, but I I couldn't get the goat in. This goat, goddamn, yeah, he's goat, goddamn like, goat. He's just like so upset. <laughs> and it, I mean, it, it, again, it shows this kind of evolution or this kind of, you know, he's finally loving something other than just I don't know. I guess himself. And at that point, I mean, not necessarily at that point, but a few scenes later, Sarah decides to leave. Yeah. Uh, she's she's going to go back. And- right. And she leaves with a guy that she met at a bowling alley where she got her finger stuck in a ball because she fell down on it. <laughs> <laughs> After rolling a strike. After rolling a strike yeah. and was going to roll a second one and she was going to win the machine, whatever that meant. I don't know. What, what, did, what did she say? Hey, lady, you need shoes. No, never wear them. Or like, whatever. Right. I never wear I never use them. Never use them. So you're going to slip all over the place. He's like, no, I'm good. <laughs> never use them. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, she gets in this car with this guy that she met at the bowling alley who seemingly knows exactly why he's there, which is just to take her to the airport. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then we get this. I mean, this scene, this last scene is just, it's crushing, right? Um, first of all, Cassavetti's character has his own jukebox, which is awesome. Yeah, that jukebox is rad. I really want one. And it's got, you know, it's got like 
original like 45s in there and stuff, right? <laughs> right. Um, and so he sort of plays this song, and as it's raining, we get this shot from outside the house, and he just turns around and takes his floppy hat off and waves it, and that's it. Yeah, and and, and then love streams comes onto mm-hmm. this onto this screen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Cast, Castle actually said when they were filming that that he was like. I mean, it did feel like John was, I mean, like, and I think he actually said it was like, it felt like John was waving goodbye to all of us at that point. Because at this point, you know, that's it. I mean, this is it for him. And his health, his health had deteriorated so bad by this time that this is why he didn't want to be in this film. Like, because again, it was, it was, it was enough for him to uh, just direct it and have it be what it was. Um, Another, another kind of cool um, anecdote about this movie is that he, pulled um bogdanovich to film a scene mm. of this movie and um you know it was like very um like kind of just weird out of the way hey, i need you to do this i can't do it on my own i need you to come out and do this well bogdanovich had been holed up into his house for an entire year because dorothy stratton got killed and he was involved oh with her. right 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 so like he and like he didn't know it at the time but that's what that's why cast called him it's like hey you know mm. just i'm gonna get you I, he didn't and he never said it he never you know yeah explained it but later on it came out that you know the reason that he did that was he knew you were at the house and in a bad way and he was like and and bogdan was just like you know what it worked it was like it got me out of my you know funk and everything um but yeah you know once after he does big trouble um you know the last few years of his life are pretty much holed up you know he's mm-hmm. with he's with gina and his kids because you know at his 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 like he was in a lot of pain you know his stomach was distended because it was so full of fluid and he, it was distended in this film as well and you can yeah. you can see where it's covered up with jackets he's never not wearing something over right over kind of his stomach shirt too, yeah, yeah yeah um but i mean i think it, again like i think it works in this film mm-hmm. you know even though they're trying to hide it it, all, it just works with this character and he finally does give up smoking and drinking at the, like the last parts of his life. But at that point, <laughs> that's like, it's like What's throwing the, a water yeah. on a smoldering house. It's like, all right, we're good. Uh, okay. <laughs> right. yeah. We tried. Um, we tried. <laughs> and I think, you know, he does the same, you know, thing that a lot of people do where they, you know, as the, the last years, they start to lose the, I don't want anybody to see me like this and starts, you know, making peace with, with leaving. But I mean, he was fucking 59 years old, man. And that was it. And that's, uh. Like, and it's, you know, and as you sit here and you watch, like, and again, I'm not, you watch Scorsese become, you know, he's in his 80s. So at this point, Cassavetes would have been 90s. So he probably wouldn't have gone by this point anyway. But like, it really is unfortunate that, like, what I was, I was sitting there wondering, like, had he um, been in his 70s in the, in the, in the 1990s during Mm. kind of the, the resurgence of indie films? Like you have to imagine that people would have thrown money at him to do something yeah. to like to, to make movies, because um, I mean, like you you see movies like from John Sayles and like you know and these and these other small kind of indie and people who were directly influenced by Casper, right, yeah. right. And so like it's it's I, it's a lament that um, that he was never able to kind of see that next wave of uh, generation of filmmakers that he directly influenced, and one would think that. He would have gotten to see a greater appreciation, not that this is necessarily even anything that he wanted, but like, but a, a greater appreciation for his works and, and, and retrospectives and things like that and, and having him come out. Um, but I do think that, that the one thing that makes me the saddest about all of it is that really that he didn't get to do She's the Lovely, because I do think that that would have been like in the last film he, it, you know, 
it wouldn't have been Gina in the in the Robin Wright role, right? But it would have been. I do think under his hand that would have been something really, really special, mm-hmm. and it would have given him an opportunity to to kind of like start directing what you would consider like considerable Hollywood stars mm-hmm. and like, mm-hmm. or, you know, like a listers that were not part of his stable. Like it wouldn't have had to been Gazara Gar- or uh, <laughs> Falk. I'm trying to put those words together. Uh, Fagara. Gazark. <laughs> Gaz- I don't know. <laughs> uh, Pin Gazark. Um, <laughs> So I, I don't, you know, I don't know who he would have gotten to fill the other roles, but, and it probably would have ended up being Madonna's, which would have really sucked, but like that. Right. <laughs> but I mean, like having them, having him being able to play with a new generation of stars, um, you know, he was, uh, you know, he was on set with, on the Tempest with Molly Ringwald mm-hmm. and she was very effusive about how like nice he was to her and how much he helped her um with her you know just kind of like with the process and like that would have been cool to see molly Ringwalder in a cassavetes yeah film. yeah i mean like so i mean like this idea of like um you know as we lament may not being able to ever give the opportunity to do anything else had cassavetes been able to like really do another five yeah. films and and have people pay him to do them right i mean not have to like jump through all the hoops that he did before um, I think it would have been really interesting, but you know, we got what we got. So yeah, and uh, we got some good stuff, right? I um, mean, the, the, really, no. I mean, like, I mean, what would you consider his worst film? I mean, Shadow. Yeah, I mean, like, so wait, I'm not, I'm not really counting. Uh, right, a child is waiting, or, or too late or, or blues, big trouble. or big trouble, right? Um, because I think, uh, I think too late blues. You can see some of his hallmarks, even if it's well, and if a little gonna, slicker and, and if you're more polished. Say, and yeah, sorry, I'm stepping on. No, go ahead, go ahead, please. I was just gonna say, if you're gonna say a filmmaker's one of his worst films is the first three that he makes, then fuck. I mean, like, then yeah, okay. Yeah, any other filmmaker, sure. we'll take that. Yeah, but even but even those films, I mean, we we talked about I think aspects of those films that were compelling and sort of shocking in a way. The way that he the way that he had these women speak and the things that they talked about, right? Yeah. In Too Late Blues, what's her name, Jess? And the way she's like, what am I if I'm not my body? I mean, that's a progressive thing to say, a progressive thing for a male filmmaker to understand that a woman in this situation feels like she has to do certain things and that men look at her and see only one thing. It's, it's, it's an, a shocking thing to hear what Layla says or Lila says you know, after sex with, right. with whatever his name was, right? I mean, so these are really interesting. And, and the sort of whole, like, jazz beat feel of Shadows is way ahead of its time, right? Yeah. It's, it's even before, I think, some of the French New Wave stuff. You can see, like, Godard looking at that film and going, oh, fuck, yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. I don't know that Godard actually, like, <laughs> looked at that film. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was saying in French, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, so, I mean, you can see these carryovers. And if, and if I'm saying that Shadows is his least realized or sort of, quote, unquote, worst film, well, it's still, yeah, head I think, way, it. yeah, w- way ahead of its time and really incredible. So, I mean, for me, this guy... I mean, the stuff he did, and even, even the stuff that, like, people don't like as much, you know, Chinese Bookie, I think, I like Chinese Bookie way more than you do, I think, because I think it's just, yeah, in, in, incredible, but I, 
So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's a shame that we didn't see more. But I do wonder how he would have navigated, like, the new playing field. Um, what would have happened? You know, I mean, like, because what, what indie group does he get in with? Right, right. Miramax, or, right, yeah. New Line? Um, can you see Cassavetes doing a Sony Pictures classic thing? I just, right. I mean, I don't, I don't know because indie now, indie now is sort of like a subset of a major studio. Right. Know, Sony's Pictures classic. Um, even, even Neon A24, these things are bigger than the kind of indie that, that Cassavetes was, was pioneering. And is so it, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I it's, and I, I don't know enough to know, like, you know, it, would he have been able to get like, I mean, I, I, the way that I would see that it was working is, is things like, uh, she's got to have it or do the right thing. Sure, things that sure. You get, you get a budget and no one gives a shit. I mean, you're going to give you $3 million and ultimately they won't, they, you know, they won't bother you. Yeah. I, I think Miramax would have been the wrong place for him to be. You know, obviously historically speaking, there's a lot it's of reasons the wrong why. place for everyone. Yeah. Right. But, but, but I mean like Miramax was notorious for picking up properties and then, and then cutting right. them apart. Right. Right. Um, and of course the, the only the true, uh, like only a handful of people who had, didn't have that, no experience yeah. like Smith and, and Tarantino. Yeah. But you would, you would also have to imagine that if Cassavetes was going to work with anybody like in the 90s, he would have said, like, you cannot touch my fucking picture. Right. And that's put that in right. Well, you knew what had to think if you're approaching Cassavetes with You a, know that already. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Like, here's the deal. Here's the money. Go make a Cassavetes film. Right. And I mean, like, he would have been most likely still acting in in the um you know it just just still acting i mean yeah. there was always there was always going to be a need for a cassavetes in a, in a movie i mean shit he did things like incubus and like right um right. you know uh i forget what the other horror film that he did was but i mean like you know it wasn't like he was overly picky although yeah i, I say that you know it wasn't like he was just doing garbage but he really didn't give a shit about those movies i mean like no. well because he was doing it for a different reason right, right? i right. mean i think I think he probably thought like, oh, working with this Roman Polanski guy is probably interesting, right? But you know, right, I mean, right. before Polanski became like a poison name, I think across right. like, all 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 borders, right? But so I think he, but yeah, for the most part, he was like, I'm gonna go make this, I'm gonna go act in this picture because I have to finance this other thing, right? right. Or, or you know, I told Gina we would do this movie, and so I have to make money to sort of <laughs> right. finance it. Um, so, I mean, I think, yeah, I don't think he was that picky, but at the same time, he was probably like, okay, I can do one of these like every so often. Right. 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 I don't know. Um, the this, world will never know. It's no. Like how many licks to get to the center of a Coochie World Pop? Well, I think three. Yeah. I think we figured that out, right? That's that cartoon commercial. Um, Love Streams won the Golden Bear at the 34th uh, Berliniale. Is that Berlinial. the only Golden Globes film that won a Golden Bear at the Berlin Film Festival? Probably, right? <laughs> Um, but see, this is, I mean, he was so much, I think, more well-received in Europe and, and, and appreciated in Europe. And, and we've talked about this too. I don't mean to, you know, beat a dead Cassavetes. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> beat a dead horse. <laughs> but yeah, so much more appreciated in Europe for, because his films kind of fit with those same sensibilities as... Okay. I don't know. What else do you want to say? I think that's it. Okay. Um, I do want to give one more shout out to the late Tigre track. What's your take on Cassavetes that 
that inspired me to, you know, <laughs> throw this out to you. Like, let's talk Cassavetes. <laughs> um, you know, and I think in that song, and I'll, I'll stop in a minute, but in that song, there's sort of the discussion is, can Cassavetes be considered a feminist, right? Where, you know, in the Fugazi song about Cassavetes, it's, it's praising him for working kind of outside of the system and, and going his own way. I very much consider Cassavetes a a feminist, right? A a humanist. I would say a humanist for sure. Yeah. I mean, if you if you're not going to characterize him as a feminist, right? Um, I definitely would say a humanist. Mm-hmm. I, I, but I think the way that he paid attention to female roles, the way that he paid attention to how these women spoke and how they felt, and how the camera portrayed that and portrayed their interiority, I think that he was okay. If not a feminist, he wasn't a misogynist. Right, right. So, I mean, husbands notwithstanding, because I think we get, I think too often there's a misread of that film, right? Even though Cassavetes isn't saying directly, these guys are assholes. He's kind of saying these guys are assholes, right? Right. Right. They still deserve our love, but yet they're kind of assholes. Right, right. right. Don't don't do this, but you know, these are their characters anyway. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he stayed in, in the area, you know, in the kind of wheelhouse of where he wanted to stay, right? Where he felt comfortable. So I'm not, so... However you paint a feminist, did he go out of his way to make female-centric films? I don't think that that was his intent. I don't think A Woman Under the Influence is a female-centric film. No. That is a film about two people who are yeah. deeply, right. you know, uh, damaged in a certain yeah. way. And, and but even outside of Husbands, I wouldn't say that there's any, like, male-centric films, no, really? No, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, these no, are, right, these right, are, right, right. These are stories that he told. And Look, I don't are, want to fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't mean the opposite of that either. I, I, but I agree with you. He didn't go out to. He made, like you said, he made stories about love. Yeah. Whether those characters fell in line with that is was the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. I don't know. Anything else? No. No. That's it. Um. I. I mean, maybe just <laughs> from a from a perspective of what we were talking about before that these, uh, these films. I mean, like. These films get better the more that you watch them. Uh, and these films are hard to watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially, you know, in a certain mindset. I mean, it's just, it's, but I mean, like seeing raw emotional vulnerability uh, <laughs> in, in, a, in quick succession is, uh, that's why Gloria was like kind of, and Bookie too, were kind of a nice clean, palate cleanse for a while because you didn't have to take those quite as seriously. Right. Um, and and many Moskowitz is uh uh I guess maybe he gave us a every other one kind of like we only let you guys off the break for like let you guys off the hook for a bit yeah um but yeah I mean like just I don't know I, I was reading um Accidental Genius and then and mm-hmm. then watching Opening Night and like uh just yeah the fucking and and like I said knowing what you know that last scene is just is just a gut punch God. Man. Just, and it's and it's I mean, going back to that last scene of Love Streams where he's waving goodbye. Another director, another actor, that would have been so melodramatic, but it's not mm-hmm. in this. It's just very matter of fact, right? It's it's yes, it's a brother waving goodbye to his sister, and he doesn't overstay there. It doesn't sort of like yeah, it's just just the right amount of sort of somberness to it. Right. Yeah. I think in the original play, or at least in the original script, he did ask her to stay. He does go out and ask her to oh. stay. And like then he didn't like that and took it back. No, was like, this is so much better. <laughs> yeah, this is and like, the fact that we're looking outside in, right, right makes it... Uh, and again, this film ends 
the way so many of his other films did with, we have no idea what's going to happen to these people. There's no resolution here. All we know is that they're kind of on their own again. Yeah. Right. And who, For the, now. And who the fuck knows? Right. <laughs> right. Is it going to turn out well? Probably not. <laughs> right. But like we don't see. And that's the point. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we hope you all enjoyed this journey <laughs> <laughs> into Cassavetti's films. Uh, I know I did, even though I'm sadder than usual, which my, you know, baseline is pretty sad. <laughs> but even more so now Uh, although i have a better understanding of life and my place in it um well and i guess like i think too like i I think that that lack of cynicism really speaks to this as well that it's okay to live in that sadness right it's okay to be that for however long you need it to be so yep yeah Again, this is why he's my hero. Yeah. Um, um, okay, well, uh, if there's nothing else, Jason, uh, until next time, thank you all for listening. Keep screaming. An observation What I held you You have been listening to Why Does the Wilhelm Scream with your hosts, Brock and Jason. If you liked today's episode, do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe in whatever application you use to consume podcasts these days. You can reach us by visiting whydoesthewilhelmscream.com. If you are in the DFW area, we would love to see you at a Fort Worth Film Club event. You can learn more about those and find a full schedule at fortworthfilmclub.com. And you can learn about my foundation and how we are trying to foster the next generation of film lovers at realhousefoundation.org. That's R-E-E-L housefoundation.org. Till next time, 